Welcome back to Softball Media Days. It is day two here on the Out of the Box podcast. We're so glad that you're tuning in. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, it's our first four-team day. This is going to be a hefty episode with a lot of discussion. I hope you've brought a lunch. Yes. And maybe an afternoon snack because we're going to need all of those to get through this. But you know you know that when you downloaded the pod. Yes, this is not <laughs> surprising. We are who we are. This is only the fifth year we've been talking about softball on this podcast feed. Of course, follow us at outofbox underscore pod on the Twitter. Subscribe. I think you can leave a review on Spotify too, or like stars or whatever. Do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do all the Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Out of the box two on the gram. Day two has Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Missouri. And as we talked about, Tom, this is a true hodgepodge of teams that I frankly don't know if I have a handle on coming into 2023. And I think. I talked about it last podcast. I don't know if all these coaches have a handle on it yet. And yeah. uh, and that's a lot. And that's not against them. That's just saying, you know, when you bring in so many new players, uh, sometimes it's going to be not only fall practice, but into the spring and maybe into the season before you kind of know what your team is. I think a couple of these teams are going to be that way. Day one of the podcast, I think we talked about three teams that could be in the top half, if not the top quarter of the league. I think we get a little bit, more variety yes to put it that put it mildly here for these four yes let's dive in team by team we will chat with rachel lawson for kentucky we know all about the wildcats offensive stars but the question is mm. who is pitching today that's a tease yes for our earlier for our later interview with rachel lawson arkansas has now won the sec two straight years co-champs a couple years ago at florida Really ran away with it last year. It was like the third weekend when we all looked around and said, hey, you know what? Arkansas is going to win this thing again. Now they have to do it with a lot of new faces. There was some turnover going into last year. This year, they do not return over 50% of their hits, of their RBIs, of their innings pitch. They are replacing so much on this team. And it's it's kind of a, a dual question for Arkansas. How do you replace all that production that you lost, but also... How do you get over that hump? Because yes, Arkansas has won the conference two years in a row, but they've seen their season come to an end on Super Regional Weekend and not in Oklahoma City two years in a row. Right. Yeah. What are you going to be able to do to take even that next step in Fayetteville? Speaking of taking the next step, South Carolina just wants to get back to the NCAA tournament. And it's been two straight years outside of the field. You could argue they maybe should have been in a couple years ago. There was an argument here or there. Last year, they were below 500. There was no chance. Now the question is, what makes it better? And we'll talk to Bev Smith about that later. And finally, Missouri. We've talked about the Tigers for many years. What a great offense, man. They've got all these bats. This is going to be the year where Missouri might be led by the pitching staff. Yeah, it you know, we remember last year and the year before we were thought that, you know, if it wasn't Missouri who was going to win the league, it was whoever was going to win the league had to go through Missouri to do it. This year, the question is, has that window closed as far as that goes? And then does the cycle start over again with new players, which is what you're wanting to do pretty much anywhere in college softball, but you're doing it in Missouri this year. Right. It's an interesting conversation with Larissa Anderson. All of these are great, but we start off with our friend, Rachel Lawson. And that's how we kick off day two of softball media days. On the other side, Rachel Lawson gets us rolling from up in Lexington. 
2022, Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury, and we are so thrilled and excited and delighted to be chatting with one of our favorites, Rachel Lawson at Kentucky. Coach, hello. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? We're wonderful. Uh, you made a little joke at us about already talking softball, but I, I can't <laughs> believe that the season is about 100 days away. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, I can't wait. I, I'm very thankful we're a spring sport because, you know, nobody likes playing in the beginning of the spring, but then as the season goes, obviously gets beautiful. You have a little time to train, but I definitely would like starting a little bit sooner than we do. I just can't wait till we get going. <laughs> well, coach, I want to first talk about last year. Uh, it, it was a good season overall. You were very, very close to getting out of the Blacksburg regional, just had a couple hiccups in those last two games. When you look back at the 2022 campaign, what really sticks out in your mind? Well, you know, you're never satisfied when you're not in Oklahoma City, obviously. The beginning of the year, we didn't really know how good we were. We knew we had a good offense. That we were very clear of. We have some outstanding offensive players, but we had absolutely zero experience in this circle. And so we were returning a pitching staff and had some new people in, but they weren't, they didn't really pitch in many, if any SEC games. So we had no idea what that was going to mean for our team. And then right away, you know, Schoonover first weekend out throws a no hitter. Um, she ends up, you know, went through a little rough patch and then picked herself out of it and ended up really strong. So that was cool. Um, and we had some other good pitching outings by the rest of our staff. And so I mean, overall, because we were so inexperienced in the circle, we didn't know how it went, but I was happy that we continued to fight even through that and ended up um, still making another postseason and ended up in a regional championship. Now, you're never happy when you don't get out of the region, but so there's mixed emotions. On the one hand, at the beginning of the year, if you would have said, hey, we're going to be in the regional championship against Virginia Tech, we would have taken it. But then once you're there, you're like, oh, you know, one more game and we could have gotten ourselves you know, gotten ourselves out of it. So that was a little bit of a bummer. But you did have a uh, tremendous senior class that, uh, that you said goodbye to, Tane Spangler, Miranda Stoddard, uh, Lauren Johnson, Renee Abernathy. Uh, what, what did those, uh, those players mean to you and to your program? Well, they were, you know, they were outstanding both on the field and off the field for starters. I mean, you're looking at that class collectively and you're looking at a GPA that was probably a three, eight, um, among all four of them, you know, you've got Abernathy's in medical school, you, you know, Spangler's looking to be in vet school. So they, they were great on all facets of the game, but from a competitive standpoint on the field, they were just really good under pressure. I mean, the number of game winners Abernathy had was just outstanding. You know, Stoddard had a knack for that as well. And, and LJ was strong for us all four years. You know, she started as a freshman and, you know, she was my first ever grad student I ever had on the team. So that's, that's saying something. So, you know, we, we have big shoes to fill in trying to find their successors uh, because they meant so much to the program, but we're confident that we have people behind them that have learned from them and hopefully we'll pick up where they left off. You mentioned the grad students uh, and you've got another one and she's kind of important. Kayla Kowalik. I have yeah. to say, coach, uh, one of the biggest thrills for me last year when Kentucky was at Alabama was getting a chance to talk to Kayla and kind of get to know her. And as you said last year, just what a phenomenal person. Uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, a, a phenomenal player. She's had an incredible career and she's got one more go around with you. What, what, how much higher can she get this season? You know, she's always working and, and that's the thing I love about her and she's never satisfied. I'll, I'll tell you things that will go unnoticed in games. Her pop time is now elite. 
Uh, you know, she started off as a freshman. She had an okay pop time, was an okay receiver, outstanding offensive player always, but has really built herself into, you know, she's an outstanding catcher. I mean, like it's, she is good. I mean, like it's, it's impressive to watch her work on that every day and she's gotten better and better. Um, you know, slapping, she's always been a great slapper, but you know, last year she kind of got away from the power game a little bit and I saw her work all summer, um, and is bringing it back to her doing it, but doing it all. So at first she started with the power game last season. We're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're, versatile so then she went back too much the other direction and now i think she's got that balance back so she worked really hard on all of her skills again um is stronger than she ever has been which is which is awesome um and she's just so mature she's a lot older she has a different perspective and when you're you know 20 she just turned 23 last week and when you're 23 years old it's a you have a different perspective than when you're 20 or 19 or whatever it is so we're we're looking forward to having her and i'm, I'm just excited to watch her on the field again I'm glad you brought up the perspective because one of the coolest things I saw last week on Twitter was uh, the official account tweeting out her helmet during the fall ball games that honored ah. all of the All-American catchers in Kentucky history. And I think that's just so cool that you've got a player that that understands the importance of that position in your program's history. Yeah, since we have been at Kentucky, my current staff and myself, we have always produced an all-conference catcher. So in some facet, whether it's defensive or offensive or an All-American or whatever the case is, it's really a position that's strong for us. And she never walks around like, I'm the best one that's ever, you know, she she just considers herself one in the line of many, many great people. Um, um, and I think it's, it's really cool. We had alumni weekend and she made sure she got the picture with all the catchers and like all that stuff. So she takes a lot of pride in the program and what we've done and, and certainly is a great team player. And another great player that is looking to make even a bigger step here in her year number three is going to be Erin Koffel. Um, what have you seen from her here in the fall as she looks to uh, do even more in 2023? Well, she finished last year's season very strong um, in the like in the box I you know when she was a freshman she would swing at a lot of stuff was uncertain didn't really know what she was looking for so if she got hold of a ball she just absolutely crushed it but you know she would you know swing out of her zone a little bit and stuff like that and she really got a handle of that I'd say middle to end of last year well she's just continued to improve on that now um in our four last like our we do a lot of live outings and I want to say in her four last live outings, she has hit a home run off of every single one of our pitchers off of a pitch that we would have not considered her best pitch in the past. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, defensively, she is, she doesn't even look like the same player uh, to, to give an analogy. So last week there was a ball hit up the middle and she was diving for it, but she was on the other side of second base when she was making the dive and the ball tipped off of her glove and went to the outfield. And we had to stop and look at that. And we're like, wow, like what just happened here? And we had to say, listen, Aaron, now, just because you can reach that ball, we might need to let the center fielder play. So like, it would be a better play for her. And then I stopped and thought about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, her range is so much better now that she's going to have to think about what should she be, you know, diving and keeping in the infield versus what, you know, she needs to let go so we can cut the girl down at the plate. And that has never been the case in the past. In the past, she had good range, but now her range is just outstanding. And that's all self-made. I mean, that's it's incredible. She can go both directions from end line all the way past second base and, and make a play, which is pretty impressive. 
We're chatting with Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson. And coach, you already talked a little bit about the inexperience last year in the circle. One of the more popular segments that we had on the podcast last year was the who's pitching question for Kentucky (laughs) because you had so many people who threw 60 to 72 innings and it was kind of a fun little guessing game. Who's Kentucky going to throw today? Who's it going to be tomorrow? Uh, As you look at what the staff will be this year, what do you want to see from that group of arms? Because again, you're bringing in a, a lot of pitchers. Who's pitching? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. At first, I didn't know y'all were doing it. And our volunteer, he was like, you've got to hear this. This is the best thing ever. Um, I was tempted at times to play into it, but I didn't. I was a bigger, I thought it was so fun. Um, (laughs) Good. We we do it in love. I'm glad. Oh, wow. I thought it was great. I think I thought it was hilarious. Um, You know, and you're going to get a little bit of that still. So I will say, though, uh, Schoonover, this summer whatever she did over the summer I mean she she took all of you know her coaching and all the playing experience and stuff and she just remade herself this summer I mean she's sitting at 67 in game easily uh spinning the heck out of the ball really has developed a change up now which you know it was okay last year and it's a lot better this year um she looks good you know every time she's gone out on the mound she has um she's never not impressed me all fall. She has not had a bad outing yet. Like her idea of about outing now is to let a hit up or two hits or something like that. So her fall was great. Now, don't get me wrong. I know not everybody was an SEC or a power five opponent, but um, just to do what she did was great. But to play in, you might still have your segment because if we played seven innings, we pitched seven different, well, we pitched six different pitchers. So we have six on the roster. Um, so right now, Schoonover is the headliner, but Lakatena is looking good. She's really starting to spin the ball. She's bringing an up pitch now to compliment her down stuff, which is, you know, we always try to add something to someone's game. You know, every year you, you, you don't want to remake yourself, but you definitely want to add to your arsenal. And, and she's doing a good job of adding um, an up pitch, which is nice. So she's looking good. Um, Sloan Gain is somebody who's had some spots here, but she's really starting to command her stuff. So I could see her getting in there. And then Izzy Harrison is different, man. She's like, when she is on, she's bringing in anywhere from 68 to 72 was spend. The thing is, nobody knows where it's going, including her catcher. So she, you're not going to be able to pick her. You're not going to be able to sit on her, um, you know, and she's just, she's something else. So she's having, she's having a great, um, great fall as well. And then, um, you know, who's Kennedy Sullivan is somebody who she transferred to us last year. Um, this year, she, you know, last year she sat at like 62, 63. She's sitting at 65 to 66 with spin. So she's had a remarkable improvement. And then we have a lefty who came in as a freshman. So we have a really good, everybody's increased their power and we have a very big variety. So I think that you're going to see a lot of people, but we'll just be better when you see us. So that'll be, that'll be good. I want to ask about Lakatena as well, because obviously coming into your program, we talked about this last year, she had the Olympic experience. Now she's also got world games experience from this past summer coming into year two. How has all of that continued to help her in her development? Because, you know, she's young on your team when she's playing in these pro events, she can be five, 10 years younger than the players on the other side. Yeah, it's, you know, it's different because she's, she's always around women like grown women. I know we're women, but like, there's a big difference between a 19 year old woman and a, you know, 27 to 30 year old woman. Um, So I think she's more clear on what she wants to do. Uh, She understands what she wants to do with the ball. And now she's really, 
she's really embracing the idea that, you know, the mindset piece is going to be as, you know, she used to just be young and it was fun and she just go out there and she was really talented. And now she's trying to under, she's starting to understand that the mental approach is, is just a big deal. So now I think she sees the game a lot differently than she did even a year ago, which is nice. And I think she gets a lot of that from the adults she's around. Who are some of the other returners that we might not have mentioned here so far in this interview uh, that you'll be looking for for a breakout season in 2023? If I had to, um, you know, Riley Smith is somebody we haven't mentioned. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be calling it a breakout season so much as just she's more consistent, but she, you know, she's always, when she is on, she is good. Like she makes an ESPN play, you know, every, you know, a few times a season, all that. And she's still doing that stuff, but she's more consistent. So I expect she's going to be pretty good. Um, Miko Harrison is a name that probably nobody knows off of our roster right now. I, she, somebody who kind of started to play first base at the end of last year, she looks great. Um, she's doing a nice job. So I think, I think you'll be surprised at her, you know, she'll be a breakout person, I guess. Um, Taylor Ebbs is somebody who was good for us last year as a freshman. And I think we're looking for her to hopefully step in and, and try to help with those holes that were created with graduation. You know, Ebbs is great, great teammate. She's back in her natural position in the outfield, which I know makes her happy and comfortable and all that. Uh, we have a transfer this year and Grace Lorson. Um, she is really good and she's doing a nice job and was one of our top hitters this this fall so i expect that she'll do big things for us looks great at third base um and you know margaret tobias incredibly fast so she's gonna right now she is a returner who could potentially play some you know play second base and you'll have a new face in center field there's a dog fight there's a three-way dog fight um between um, Jenna Blanton, who is a red shirt, who's technically a freshman because she redshirted last year. You have Chelsea Mack, who's outstanding, really fast, runs the outfield very well. And then you have Vanessa Nesby, who's who uh, at times really went in as a great defensive specialist, but in, in regionals, she was probably our top hitter. So um, in, down in the nine holes. So you got a dogfight going on down there. Um, our freshmen are very good. Uh, you got Carissa Hamilton, who is outstanding. She was the Gatorade player of the year in Indiana. Um, her deal is though, she was, you know, she, Kowalik was supposed to be graduated and she would be Kowalik's successor um, along with Hallie Mitchell. But um, so now we have a little bit of log jam, but she can play outfield. She's an outstanding athlete and also fast. And then we have, um, Lauren, um, Bor I always mess her name, but her dad's going to kill me, um, Borzileri, and she is an outstanding infielder. So, you know, I think that she could also be a great freshman for us. So we, you know, we have, you know, we have that freshman class coming in. They're very, there's not many of them, but they're very talented. So I think we got a lot of names, but the, the ones I would key in for us, I think Miko Harrison has a good year, Taylor Ebbs and Lorson, we should pre be pretty good offensively again. I'm glad you brought up Grace Lorsung because we saw her this summer at the FGCL. She kind of went in the portal a little bit later than most of the kids that we saw down there. But I was surprised when I was following your fall ball games and saw her at third. I, I had seen her catch pretty much all summer. So I'm really glad to hear that she's filling in in that spot over at third base really nicely because I think that her talent, if she can reach the potential, is is through the roof. Yeah, she's starting to get there. You know, she, uh, she was a... Uh we're just a different type of team, I guess. So after she started to get used to us, um, we're like controlled chaos, I guess. If you watch, there's a lot going on at our practices and, you know, we are disciplined, but in our own weird way. 
And so I think once she started to figure that out, she just started to thrive. And I, I think, you know, she started to be herself. We've known Grace forever because she played ball with Koffel. So the reason we didn't, we always really liked her. She used to come to camps and stuff, but um, she was a catcher and Koalika was going to be there. So it didn't make a lot of sense recruiting, but we had seen her play third and catch. Mm -hmm. So we knew we had a void in the third base spot. So it made a lot of sense for us to pick her up. Well, you were able to do something really fun again this year. And, and during fall ball, you did the uh, big blue boo against uh, Louisville. Um, how important is it to have an, a fun event like that, but also have an opportunity to play a, a power five team in fall ball? Oh, it's so cool. Um, first of all, the event, it's one of those things that, I mean, but the gates were opening at 430 and there was a line all the way. If you've seen where our, we are, our baseball stadiums up the hill and there was a line all the way to the baseball stadium you know, at four o'clock, which, you know, it's a fall ball game. You're like, what's going on right. here? So, um, you know, in the gates, when the gates opened, there were about, you know, between 11 and 1200 people who came in for a fall ball game, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and don't get me wrong. There's lots of things going on outside of it. It's a big event. Um, I think the coolest part about it for our players is that's the environment you're going to play in when you play in the SEC and, and in our preseason tournaments and stuff. So the quicker I can get um, our younger players or our transfers or whoever in the environment with the hoopla and the marketing and the, all that going on against a, an opponent that, uh, you know, nobody likes Louisville when you're from Kentucky and all that. Um, it just helped them understand what we were going to be up against when we step out on the field in February, because we have a great schedule this year again, which I'm very excited about. So um, I think it's really important to put them in that in their environment. Plus, yeah, we won the game, but it was very high scoring and we made a lot of mistakes that it helps you build on those mistakes so they know what they're working for all winter. Um, if you just go out there and play an opponent that that isn't, um, you know, a power five opponent or, or at least an elite level mid-major, then, you know, that you get a little too comfortable. And I, I think it was good to play people like that in an uncomfortable environment. So it tells us what we need to work on. Did anybody win bingo? They kept talking about oh, yeah. how nobody, somebody won. Okay. I get, I asked that same question because I guess a lot of people ended up winning bingo because let's face it. It was ridiculous. I mean, the final score was like, you know, we scored, I think, I think we might've scored more points than the Kentucky football team. So they're not going to, they're not, they won't listen to this podcast that night. Cause we played Tennessee, but um, thank God they don't listen. But anyway, um, it was just ridiculous. So if you can't win bingo in that kind of game, I just don't know. So by the end of the, it was not, we spent like hundreds of dollars and, you know, thousands of dollars in candy and prizes and whatever. And by the end of the day, everything was gone because wow. we just, you know, we couldn't stop anyone from scoring and they couldn't stop us. So it was, it was quite, it was quite the bingo event for sure, but it was cool. It was, it was great. And, and the, uh, you know, one of the things I love about softball everywhere, not just at Kentucky, but I love this about the SEC is we understand the community involvement and anytime you can do a free event for, you know, your locals, just to show them how much you appreciate them. I think that's always good. And, and every softball coach I know in the SEC does something like this. So I thought it was a cool, cool event for softball and hopefully we'll be able to keep it going in the future. And, and I noticed too on videos and pictures of that, your groundskeeping crew really enjoys doing the, the different designs and things like that on, on the, on the dirt as well as the grass. So I thought that was a really cool um, visual, if nothing else. 
Oh yeah. I mean, I am not shy of saying we have the best brand, grounds crew in the country. Like I, I, I love grounds crew people in general. I think they're a different breed, but I will tell you ours are awesome. They've been doing this. We used to always do everything at a practice and I'm like, why are we just doing this at practice? Why don't we open this up to, you know, everybody. So it used to be a well-kept secret. We've been doing it for years, but now I'm like, you know, we need to share this this night with a lot of people and in our grounds crew is so cool. Like, and they come up with all those ideas on their own. I mean, I don't, the spider web thing behind that was, that was pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, they do it all. They're cool. I love it. I love it. And I, I certainly hope that that becomes a yearly tradition for y'all every single year as we chat with Kentucky head coach, Rachel Lawson here on softball media days, coach, I'm excited to get to these questions with you in particular, because they tie into our interaction last year in Tuscaloosa when Alabama was playing Kentucky. I want to start with the safety base. Um, one of the, I would say more explosive in-game interviews that I had was with Coach Murphy after the collision and I believe game three of that Alabama-Kentucky series. He'd been pro safety base for years. He really dove into it in the minute or so that we chatted with him. Um, I, I know that that was something that was really talked about throughout the softball world and now they're bringing it in on an experimental basis this year and maybe permanently going forward. Where do you stand on the whole safety base conversation? Well, I'll tell you, anyone who saw that collision um, and it, I can, I know I don't teach our players to run into people. And I know, you know, Murphy doesn't either. That's just, that's not how you play. We don't play the game that way. And it was all accidental, but let me tell you, it was, it was a hard hit. Like I was thankful. I was actually more thankful that the defender got up than because when you're on offense and you're running through them, you know, you've got the momentum on your side and stuff like that. But, and if you're the defender and you're stopped, that could really really mess you up. And so I was very thankful when they, everybody got up, nobody had a concussion. Well, I don't know if his player did, but it was, it was quite a hit. Like I said, it was probably the biggest hit. Um, you know, it was a football type hit. And so when you look at situations like that, a, a safety base makes all the sense in the world. And, and you look at it and you're like, there's no reason not to do it. I mean, there's, it's just a little bit of training. It only comes into play in those type of situations. And so it makes a ton of sense. I'm assuming it will be permanent. You have to, how the rules work is you have to do things on an experimental basis if you're in a non-rules change year. Um, and so the SEC is always on the forefront of doing experimental stuff and then it going in. But I anticipate it would say, but it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I know that his passion and um, his insistence on keeping it going is a lot of the reason why, you know, that rule was even put in on a, on a different basis. So I'm, I, I'm good with it. We've been practicing it. I think it's going to be a non-factor, which I think is a good thing right now. First base is a factor and it should not, it should not be one really. That's why an MLB, you don't even have to stick the base. Well, it's for that reason. We want people to have to stick the base, but not at the expense of their health. Yeah. I think the way that Tom and I have felt over the last couple of years is it, it just seems such a like such a fixable problem by just yeah. adding in the safety base and uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm glad that those steps are being uh, being mm -hmm. made by the people that make those decisions I also want to ask about replay we had a long conversation in uh -huh. Tuscaloosa about it how do you feel like year one with the replay system went okay so I believe in replay I do um, I think we are years away from having it work properly. I think some of it is because of the camera angles. I do think some of it is because the umpires have to get comfortable using it. And I think we need to have, um, it needs to be a lot quicker 
in the SEC office. And I think they've made steps to that. They showed us this like awesome control room um, as part of the SEC meetings and stuff like that. So I do think the SEC is committed to doing it. So I don't think that there's an issue with the expense and, and the commitment. I just think everybody has to get used to it. I do think it was not implemented well last year at all. I mean, we had a replay that went 17 minutes. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like I can, you know, drive down the road, eat dinner and come back in 17 minutes. Like that's just like 17 minutes is forever. So I'm hoping this year, you know, it gets even better and better and that they cut that stuff down. And the other thing is, you know, it still comes down to, you know, replay is great, but it's not like a computer is making the decision. It's still a human on the other side. And so I think that that comes into play a little bit, but once they get comfortable making the decisions, I think we'll be, I think we'll be in good shape, but I, I'll bet it'll take another two to three years before any of us until we get it to a place where it's, it's okay. You know, uh, you mentioned earlier, you're really excited about your non-conference schedule this year. Um, I know you're playing Oklahoma. You have some, some other really big games in the non-conference. Um, what is your general non-conference scheduling philosophy? And do you foresee that changing when, you know, we're a year or two down the road, when teams the caliber of Texas and Oklahoma join this league that is already the toughest in America? Well, it, you know, here's the thing. When Texas and Oklahoma join, well, the, the out-of-conference scheduling will depend on how many SEC teams we play. So currently, half of our schedule is against non-conference opponents. And so, you know, you, you want to get a top a national seed. Well, the only way you can get, you can get a national seed in two ways. You can play an above average schedule and you can win every single game. Or you can play a, a elite level schedule and win some of those games and make sure you win a lot of conference games when you're in a conference like the SEC. So generally speaking, I like to play a tougher non-conference schedule. Like you have to find that balance. So you want to go into SEC games with a but you want to be, gosh, you want to be at least 10 games, you know, 10, 15 games above 500 when you go into SEC because you just don't know what's going to happen. But um, I like to play around and with those other games and try to, you know, get Washington, UCLA, Oklahoma, whatever the case is, because I feel like if you don't play those opponents, you're not ready for the SEC opponents when you're facing them. So you get, uh, if you can win any of those other games, you're putting yourself in a good position as long as you win, as long as you win, you know, the ones you're supposed to win. And then it gets you ready for whoever you're, op I don't even know who I'm opening against. Isn't that terrible? But whoever you're opening <laughs> against, I just know they're going to be good. So whatever, you know, and um, anyway, I, so generally I like to do that. The last few years because of COVID and other things, our schedule, we didn't have as many power fives or top 10 teams in the schedule, but we're, uh, we've gotten back to our normal scheduling of going out to California and doing all that sort of stuff. Well, Tom and I talked about it a lot the first year of this podcast. We thought at the time your 2019 non-conference schedule was maybe the toughest we'd ever seen. Now, Oklahoma might have topped that with a schedule that they just put out a little bit ago, but uh, we know that, Coach, you, you really love to challenge your team in the non-conference when given the chance. And uh, playing two games against the Sooners in Norman will give you that chance on what I assume is the return trip from uh, them coming to you this past year. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And here's the thing about it. one, I've never been to Oklahoma. So I think that just from a softball perspective, I think that's going to be very cool. And two, I mean, after you play Oklahoma and they, you know, they do their thing. If you beat them, like, wow, you know, and even if you don't beat them, I, I mean, you, 
you know, it's just going to make you better for any SEC team you're going to play. So, you know, Oklahoma is a tough juggernaut. I mean, they've got a good thing going on there. And, you know, every year they're just pumping in one, you know, one kid after another, after another. So, you know, they're going to be good, but I mean, to beat somebody like that would be incredible. And, and nobody's expecting anything from us. So it's a good position for us to be in. Just slide in and play spoiler. That's what yeah, the Blue Nation will look fun. for. <laughs> if not, I mean, heck, you're going to see some good softball. You know, I'm hoping we give them a better game than last year. But, um, I mean, how cool How cool would that be? You know, can't can't beat them if you don't play them. So. Absolutely. Last thing, Coach, before we let you go, Tom and I did our first edition of a little off-season series called Out of the Box Office. We brought in past guests to talk about movies and break down their favorites. So, Coach, if we had one with you, what movie would you select for out of the box office? Well, I could go two different directions because I'm like a Star Wars girl, but I'm also a, like a rom-com girl. So I'm very unique there. So I think for this podcast, I think you'd have to go with the Pitch Perfect series and I would do one and two. <laughs> oh, wow. I like that a lot. Yeah, that would, I just said that because that would be unexpected out of me. I don't think anyone would expect that out of me, but that is an actual truth. <laughs> Do you have a favorite song from the original movie? Oh, all of them. But I like the riff offs. I think they're funny. Um, I think they're cool, but I I just love, it's just lighthearted. It's, it's nice. You know, when you're in the SEC, last thing I want to do is go watch like documentaries or anything serious. I mean, all my friends are like, Hey, here's this great documentary or, Hey, this is great murder mystery. And I'm like, I feel like I live a murder mystery life every weekend. So I'm like, listen, I just need something to like just veg out on or whatever. And that's, that's definitely something that I think would surprise people about me. I just had to go to Gainesville and play Florida three times. I want to, to be happy. Yeah, <laughs> because win or lose you're exhausted it's not right. like you know when you leave those places and you win it's super exciting but you're also like just monday you're wiped out no matter how you look at it because it's a dog fight but yeah, yeah. i don't i just don't want anything too serious i love that rachel like lawson <laughs> joining us here for softball media days coach always a delight to see you i will add that alabama and kentucky not currently supposed to meet on the schedule this year but if recent history leads us to believe anything we will probably see you at some point this season well i hope not if that's any consolation unless <laughs> it's in oklahoma but that would be about the only time um but no i appreciate it thank you and i love everything you guys do for softball you're the best so thank you very much and i look forward to seeing or i look forward to hearing you guys i guess and then watching your broadcasts in the spring so sounds right. great thanks coach Thank you. Appreciate it. And we're back. Tom, I, I suddenly feel the urge to participate in a riff off after Rachel Lawson's movie selection. Ak, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, Tom. Ak, mm. excuse wow. me. Oh. Did not see that coming. Yes. Now, there are many jokes that we could have gone with. Sure. I, of course, also like the fact that Kentucky is fully in on and approving of the who's pitching yes. bit that we have. Who's pitching the enigma, like all of that. They're like, you know, well, we'll just lean into it at this point because I, we weren't telling them anything they didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't know who was pitching either. <laughs> They're just rolling right along. Good with to it. know. Good yeah. to know that we are actually on the pulse. We we are somewhat accurate. <laughs> no, but, you know, again, we look at Kentucky. We talked about it with Coach Lawson, Aaron Koffel, and Kayla Kowalik. You yeah. got two of the best offensive players in this league really kicking off your offense. 
I don't know who's pitching. We can joke about it all we want. I know who's hitting. Those two are going to be fantastic again. Absolutely. And I mean, we talked about it with uh, Kiki Malloy, but like you said, Kayla Kowalik is probably the preseason player there. How the offense goes, the, the importance for Kentucky is to make it to where she doesn't have to do everything offensively. They were able to do that last year. Will they be able to do that again? And then get some consistency in the circle. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same person every week. Uh, but have that, you know, have two or three really good starts on those SEC weekends to go along with that. Uh, but I, I think I mentioned as well that we really see sometimes how these teams take on the personality of their coach. I think Kentucky is probably the best example of that yes. in the conference. Uh, I mean, they're they are having probably as much fun as anybody playing softball. And you can tell that from when you talk to Rachel Lawson. Oh, yeah. Follow Kayla Kowalik on Twitter. We don't do that very often. I recommend you follow her because she's a great follow. And she, anytime she and Rachel Lawson tweet back at each other, it's like, (laughs) frame it. Right. Frame it. Also, for uh, the award for who will most directly impact the conference championship race. Because will Kentucky win the league? I'm not super confident that would happen. But in the conference slate, they've got Tennessee, Arkansas, and Florida all coming to Lexington, all in the back half Hmm. of the conference season. Circle, star, and highlight, those are going to be three very interesting weekends to watch. And I think Kentucky and the team we're about to talk about next are probably the two two of the toughest places to play in the league because no matter what week you are playing them, it could be 10 degrees Mm -hmm. or it could be 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. You never know. The weather is as crazy as anywhere in the conference in Lexington and in Fayetteville. And if you have that late season trip up there, it's a crapshoot. Look at you just transitioning. Just doing it now. Done this a few times. (laughs) Our next team is Arkansas. Courtney Diefel will be joining us on the other side. We'll be right back here on the Out of the Box podcast. champs again the Arkansas Razorbacks kind of just saying you know what yeah we are here to stay last year a lot of us thought you know they'll they'll still be good but they're not going to win the league now they proved us wrong and now Courtney Diefel's got again a team that is going to face some doubt I think and maybe not even that they should face but when you only return 31.8 percent of your hits and less than 30 percent of your RBIs and under 50 percent of your innings pitched People are going to have questions, and I think Courtney Diefel in this interview we're about to have does a great job of answering those about the very good recruiting class coming in and also some of the transfers that they picked up. Yeah, and that's we, – we have to remember that Arkansas is not that far removed from being like the doormat of the league. Yeah. Like it's, it's, this has been a pretty miraculous turnaround, and but it's, it's one of those things – similar to what we've talked about with Alabama soccer, where it you know, it seems like it's overnight, but it was built from, mm-hmm. from, from the ground up. And that's what Courtney Diefel did when she came to Fayetteville. She has really built it up to where they're now a perennial, uh, you know, there's two-time champion and they're a perennial contender to win the league each and every year. But this is where you really see how that foundation, how solid it is because they've lost so much how will you be able to replace that? And what what have you been able to do on the recruiting trail? What have you done 
with players that were already there that just, you know, that weren't necessarily playing last year because there were so many great players ahead of them, but they were still there going through, growing through everything with everybody else. Will they be able to step in and be those contributors this year? Let's get our answer. That's a good question. I haven't, I wasn't there, so I want to hear this too. Here we go. Arkansas head coach Courtney Dyfel as we roll right along here on day two of softball media days. Welcome back to Softball Media Days, and now it is time to go take a look at the defending SEC champs, the Arkansas Razorbacks, and the two-time reigning SEC Coach of the Year, Courtney Dyfel. Coach, so good to see you again. How are you? Really, really good. Thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to excited to chat. Of course. And last year, we opened asking how Coach of the Year felt. Two-time Coach of the Year. How does that feel to you? Ah, feels good. <laughs> feels good it, it means your team took care of business so um and then you get to have this award um because you have a tremendous staff and a team that team that won so I guess it's it's pretty cool to be in that position <laughs> absolutely well it was a phenomenal year winning the SEC winning the SEC tournament again you know it was a team that that kind of started a little bit under the radar I don't think you were getting the respect you probably deserve but by the end you'd absolutely earned it at what point did you realize yet again this is a team that can really do something this year. Well, we realized it early, um, you know, in the fall, this team, that, that team had a ton of talent. And uh, it's interesting you say that because we feel like that. Like we felt like that last year. We felt like that the year before of just kind of um, kind of starting from scratch and, and, and earning everyone's respect and um, not necessarily being a team that they um, expect a lot from, even though we feel like we've played ourselves into that consideration. Um, and, and so for us, we knew very early that we had a team with, with a ton of talent and a ton of experience. They were very seasoned. Um, and so it's, I think if you talk to many coaches or any coaches around the country in any sport, and they ask, you ask them about their team, they're not going to feel great. You know, they're going to like, think of everything that they need to work on and everything that they're not quite as good at. And last year, I think was the first year that in my entire career I've ever said, I think we have something really special here. I think we have a really special group that can do a lot of big things. And, um, we just are dang good. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, I don't know that you'll have many coaches sit there and say, we're just dang good. Like we are, we were really good. We had a lot of talent. We had just a, I mean, the experience, the talent, the, um, the connection, all of it was, um, just a really, really special thing. And these have been just two really historic seasons in the lore of Arkansas softball and what that program has been through since its inception uh, and still not quite able to get to Oklahoma City, been very close the last couple of years. What is it going to take this season? And we're going to dive into what your team will look like, but what is it going to take to to finish that job and to get over that hill and to get to Oklahoma City this season? Well, more than anything, you can't have your two worst days of the season back to back at the end. Um, I, I think we played poorly. Um, I would say maybe four days of the year and two of them were, were at the end there, unfortunately. Um, and, and so I, I think that you need to be firing. Um, and I think you need a little bit of luck. I think a lot of, a lot of people don't understand too, that it's not just about being, um, exceptional. Um, it's about things lining up. It's about, um, timing. It's about a lot of, a lot of things, um, go into that. And I just don't think they were, um, in our corner at the end, unfortunately, I don't think we played our best those last two days. I think we played 
great the day before that. Um, and so it's a, it's a game of inches and, and a game of momentum. And sometimes it shifts and you don't grab it back. And so I think for us, it's just continuing to learn the lessons from that. Um, I know for me, it's like, okay, I, I need to figure out how to make them better in that moment. Um, and how our staff can make, make our team better in that moment. So we're just continuing to learn from the experience that we go through and to put ourselves in a better position moving forward. Coach, you've talked so glowingly about the senior class from last year, every time we've done this and we've discussed specific players in that group. And I want to make sure I mention everybody, uh, you said farewell to SEC player of the year, KB sides, pitcher of the year, a couple seasons ago, Mary half. Uh, Danielle Gibson, Lenny Malkin, who both were very viable SEC Player of the Year candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, Hannah McEwen, maybe the most underrated player in the conference the last couple of years. Taylor Ellsworth, you had a couple more. When you look back at that group, how did they not only affect you, but affect the trajectory of Arkansas softball? Oh, gosh. I can, I'm going to have to speak very surfacely so you don't get emotion out of me today. Um, there is something about like when you become a parent, <laughs> this emotional things just switches in you and it comes out. But, you know, when you think about that group, a good chunk of them came here before it was cool to come here. Um, you know, they, they came here to leave their mark on this place. They came here cause they believed that, that they could do that. Um, they believed our vision. They came and saw this and kind of said, why not? Um, just like we did when we came here. Um, and they had this little chip on their shoulder of, of one proving that they could do it and proving that this, that this team and program can do it. And so when you look at, um, the impact that that group had specifically Hannah and Lenny and Mary, who came here straight out, um, Gibby's been here for, um, she was here for a few years, you know, that the impact that that group had is, um, immeasurable. I mean, it's, it, they came here and put this program on the map. Um, and they believed in it and committed to coming here before we were really even <laughs> winning a ton. Um, I just think that they came here and believe, believed us and believed in this place like we did. Um, and then you look at, you know, KB and, and Taylor coming and, and, um, I think that transfers look at programs differently their recruiting process the second time around is different than their the first time. And, and what they, what they want to do is they want to win and they want to be happy. And, and it's not that where they were, wasn't, they weren't happy or any of that. Sometimes situations are taken out of their hands and they have to go, or there's not money or, or it's not, you know, good fit. There's so many different uh, reasons to transfer. And with Gibby, KB and Taylor coming in, this was their happy ending. This was a fit for them. They looked at us in different eyes. And, um, and, and so the, the impact that they come in and bring with their experience and their character and their work ethic, and um, I could go on and on, obviously their talent as well. Um, that class collectively um, just had uh, an incredible, tremendous, immeasurable impact on this program and our lives. And, um, and so, and, and it'll continue to, to move forward as, as they've poured into the others in the program and, and ones that have committed to come here later. Absolutely. And I wanted to specifically pinpoint Mary because we've talked so much the last couple of years about Autumn Storms and Mary Half. And last year we chatted with you about what Autumn Storms meant to the program. And you talked about how she was kind of the foundation for what you were trying to build, being one of those first recruits to come in. 
Mary Half and Autumn Storms were one of the best one-two punches the SEC saw for the last couple seasons. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that those two mean a lot to you when you look back at the years you had with both of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can't talk about Arkansas softball um, and where we are now without saying Autumn Storms and Mary Half um, because they um, they changed this place. Um, you know, Autumn came in and I think She's still to this day, one of the most competitive, um, pitchers, players, people I've ever been around. And, and she, um, competes in a way of, of not taking a, like, it's like not taking no for an answer. It's like not accepting a loss. Like she will compete, um, to the very end. And, and, um, and when you look at autumn and you look at Mary, the, there are two, uh, pitchers that weren't necessarily highly recruited. Um, they fell through the cracks. They had this chip on this, on their shoulder. Mary, um, was injured in the prime, um, recruiting years. Um, and so then when it came through and came time, um, she was available and we were, she wanted to play in the sec and we were her only sec offer. Um, and it's hard to imagine that now when you see, see Mary and what she was able to do, um, at this level and for Arkansas, um, they were, they were, um, tremendously talented. Um, they complemented each other beautifully, um, and just highly, highly competitive. And then I always think it helps to have that chip on their shoulder of, of wanting to prove people wrong. And, um, it was a driving force for both of them. And, um, and also just incredibly coachable. I could go on and on, but, um, you can't talk about Arkansas softball without mentioning those two names. But now there is a new kid on the block, a new name, and that's Shanice Dels, the reigning mm-hmm. SEC Pitcher of the Year, who is really one of the great surprises of last season. I went back and listened to our conversation last year, and we talked about her for maybe 20 seconds. There just wasn't a lot of buzz coming in on, from the outside world. But man, she really had a phenomenal year. And now looking ahead to 2023, what has she done this offseason to, to further her development and continue being a weapon for you and your pitching staff? Well, she's grinded. She's a worker. Um, you know, I think one of Shanice's biggest attributes is that she doesn't have many highs or lows um, on a regular basis. So she doesn't feel the highs and lows that much of a game or training. Um, she's incredibly consistent. Um, I, I just mentioned the, you know, Autumn and Mary as being coachable and sorry, Autumn and Mary, but Shanice might be the most coachable I've ever <laughs> been around of, um, of just kind of like, I could say, Hey, Shanice, I think you need to stand on your head to throw a drop and she's going to try to balance herself on her head to get, you know, like she is that like, Hey, just tell me what I need to do to be good. She just wants to be as good as she can be. And, um, and so what she's done in the off season is just fine tuned what, what she's done for us already. I think, um, I'm seeing right now the best version of Shanice. And I thought she was incredible last season. Um, I think she's easily one of the top five in, in the game right now. And, and she's only pushed herself forward um, of making everything sharper, um, adding a few um, more layers um, to her arsenal um, and to her profile. And I, I, I think we're seeing right now the best version of Shanice that we've seen. And of course, the famous story last year was Shanice learning her drop ball in a day. And I've heard it from the media and from brief little interview snippets. I want to hear it from you. Can you tell us (laughs) the drop ball story with Shanice Dells? 
Well, I mean, it really was. I know that sounds like really simplistic and it was, it's exactly how it happened. Um, we came out of a weekend and I just said, you know, Shanice, I just think that we need to find something hardened down. Um, I, I think we need that for, for your profile. Um, I think that's going to make you more effective. Um, so let's just dabble. Let's just see. Um, I always, I'm a big advocate of like not being married to anything in the pen. So like, we'll throw something off the wall. Let's see what sticks. And I always say, I'm not married to anything, but Joe Diefel. So outside of that, <laughs> everything else is fair game. Let's figure out what, what the best thing is. So, um, you know, I, I just said, I think we need something hardened down. Let's just see how, how this goes. I'm like, let's start with a drop first. I, I explained it as basic as you can. Um, I want to see what her body does, what she does. And right away, like, I think on the third or fourth pitch, um, I was sitting there with our, um, grad manager now Parker. And I was just like, Holy crap. Um, because it's just not like real life. Like most pitchers, if they came in and spent some time with Shanice, they would be so annoyed. They'd want to bang their head in the wall because she just has a way of just, she, she can just, um, she makes really quick adjustments. She can learn something really quick. She has really sound mechanics. So you can, um, she can just kind of tweak something. She can test some things and it just doesn't take her off course, which is really, really nice and refreshing. But literally on like the fourth pitch, it was just like, I mean, true, like true downspin. Um, initially it was just kind of an off-speed version until she got a little bit more comfortable with it. But, um, I would say on pitch 15, she had it down. Um, it really was that simple and that wow. easy for her. And that weekend in the first game, she, she used it. She had 10 strikeouts. Um, and, and there were days that it, it wasn't quite as consistent. Um, but as we kind of worked through it and, and by the end, it's, it's a pitch that could stand alone by the end of the year. And so it, um, you know, it's just a huge testament to who Shanice is as a pitcher and just really, really being open to anything that could make her the best version of herself. But what it did for that drop did for Shanice, um, it also impacted our staff tremendously because it was another element that an opposing team would have to um, prep for, um, instead of having mostly up profile, it, it opened everything up down. And so, and not only is it, you know, it's down, it's nine or 10 inches down, which is really crazy to wrap your mind around. Um, and so the, the vertical separation she gets is just off the charts, but it makes everyone around her better. Um, that's, and that's, that's phenomenal. and that's Janice in a nutshell of doing whatever she can to make herself better. Um, and everyone around her better too. Well, I'm glad you mentioned everybody around her because looking at the rest of your pitching staff, you've got Callie Turner back and then a, a bunch of new faces mm -hmm. in the circle. How is that staff looking as you wrap up the fall and get ready for the spring? Really good. You caught me on a really good day. We had a really good morning of bullpens. Um, you caught me last week, maybe on Tuesday, maybe not. So no, I'm just kidding. Um, it's <laughs> it's good. It's good. We have Callie Turner back. We actually have three lefties and two righties. Um, and we have Shanice and Callie, and then we have three freshmen. So, um, they're very green, um, but they are really fun to work with. They're highly, highly competitive. Um, and they are very good at their individual craft, which is really nice and is a good compliment, um, to the rest of the staff. Um, so, um, it's, it's good. It's going to look very different. I think that, you know, a lot of people, when they think about Arkansas softball, they think of autumn storms, they think of Mary half. Um, now they, they put Shanice Delson there and, and you're going to see the other four quite a bit. 
Um, and I think that they do a really good job um, of really countering big offenses, which I think you're going to need to do in the SEC, obviously. Arkansas head coach Courtney Diefel joining us here for softball media days and coach let's look at the offensive returners and it starts with Hannah Gamble uh, presumably her role will increase significantly this year with so many departures how has she taken to that uh, I assume new leadership role as now being one of the upperclassmen and the veterans on the team this year uh, she's handled it really well she's uh she's She's grabbed it and 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 made the most of it, and um, which we would expect nothing less from her. I I really do. I'm really um, proud of how Hannah and Shanice have stepped up in those leadership roles. Um, they've done a really great job. But we're most likely going to see Hannah shift behind the plate, which um, is enough to make everyone look at you like you have three heads. Of like, why are you going to take your first team All American third baseman and put her behind the plate? Um, but it's what's best for our team and. Um, and she's exceptional back there as well. She's a, she's an exceptional catcher. Um, and so it, we, we have a little bit more depth in the infield. So we're going to see Hannah potentially move behind the plate. Um, but obviously still be a staple in the offensive order. Um, and I, I think we have Hannah, um, just continuing every day to understand who she is as a hitter, even more and just have, has such a mature approach, um, that I think we're looking at what her best year ahead of us. And of the other returners, who seems poised to really have a breakout season? Who, who are we going to be talking about by the middle of conference play? From the returners, I think we're going to be talking about Casey Hoffman. Um, you know, she started in right for us last year toward, you know, the back half of season. She's probably going to move over to left. Um, she's a big lefty, obviously bat, a ton of power, a ton of pop. Um, is just continuing to work to understand her zone a little bit more. I think where she could chase a little bit last year, I think you're going to see a little bit more um, under control version of Casey with the same pop and same power. Um, Spencer Priggy um, is is healthy and feeling really good. Um, and, and that's the the biggest thing for, for Spencer having a productive year is just her feeling healthy and, and happy. And, and then she's, she has both those things. So, um, big bats. And then we've added quite a few as well. Yeah. Speaking of the additions, thank you for the natural segue. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> the transfers coming in Christina Foreman from Duke, uh, Halverson from South Dakota state. You've also brought in a healthy dose of freshmen. You mentioned the pitchers, but a lot that can play everywhere. How are all of these newcomers fitting into what the team is going to look like this season? Uh, they're fitting in really well, um, really well. This team is um, really fun, really loose, um, has a unspoken confidence about them, um, but connect better than um, most teams at this point. And we've always had a really strong connection. This team just has something really special about them and, and the way that um, they welcome each other, the way they embrace each other, the way they push each other. They're a little bit more... Um, initially comfortable with com being competitive with each other, which I really like, you know, when you start having that, um, sass, you know, talking trash a little bit, it's pretty fun. Um, but it's a really fun group. I mean, Tina and, and Kylie have stepped in to leadership roles right away. They, they demand that by how they carry themselves and how they work. They're two of the the biggest workers that we, we have our, our, our leaders are, you know, they're, they're our biggest workers. And that says a lot to, um, 
what it looks like to be at a high level. Um, Tina and Kylie are that consistent with their play, understand who they are very, um, comfortable and confident in their own skin and how they play. And, and so they can handle the highs and lows of the game and, um, and, and help everyone around that. Cause I think that's the biggest thing for freshmen is understanding the highs and lows more than, more than ever. Um, and then our freshman class is, uh, is just, is really, really talented. Um, they add a ton of layers to our offense. We have more speed than we've ever had. Um, and just a lot more tools that we can utilize. I'm excited to learn a lot about your team this year, because again, a freshman class ranked number one by some of the services out there. So a lot of talent, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, one more thing I want to get to before we dive into a couple of things overall about the sport. You are hosting the SEC tournament this year. Yeah. It's the first time Arkansas has hosted since 2010. So the first time you'll get a chance to do this in your tenure. How are mm -hmm. things coming along with that, as I'm sure preparations have already begun uh, for that a couple months away. I, I know that there have been meetings already. <laughs> well, most of those meetings don't involve me, which is really <laughs> probably the best for them. Um, no, it's really good. We just had a site visit from the SEC last week. So I think that they are just keeping track of, you know, what they're going to need to do and get all that. And I think that we've had some really great hosts the last few years. So just kind of leaning into each other of like what they learned, what they do differently. And so um, right now it's just kind of collecting all of that and, and uh, starting the planning process. We're really excited. Um, it's going to be really fun. I think we have a great venue for it. Um, and I think we have a staff that um, is going to put on a very, very um, hospitable and um, really, really well-run tournament. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'll speak for Tom. We have been talking about going to Fayetteville for months. I mean, pretty mm -hmm. much since the season ended. We love Bogle. We love the 95 restaurants around the area that we can go <laughs> attend. So I'm we're very excited to be up there. And I'm sure every fan base will feel that as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great place to visit. I don't think you really know that until you get here and see what it's like. But um, I, I wouldn't trade Bogle for anything. I wouldn't trade. Our fans are incredible. They'll probably support every team. Um, and then there's some really good eating, um, around here. So we'll make sure that we, uh, put out those, those restaurants for everyone to, to hit while they're here. <laughs> oh, very excited. All right. Courtney Dyfel joining us here for softball media days, coach, a couple things about the sport. I want to make sure that we get to, uh, the safety base this year has been approved an experimental basis and, and talking with some of the coaches, there have been some difficulties with supply chains trying to get bases in it, it seems like um it, it truly is going to be experimental this year and I know some coaches hope it, it can be permanently done going forward but how do you feel about the addition of that rule this year and maybe beyond well I um feel fine about it <laughs> we um we didn't get one so we haven't you know experimented with it here um but I know that the ones that have um have given good feedback. Um, so just kind of understanding the intricacies of that rule, it's not just so much of, oh yeah, just like hit it as you run through. There's a lot more that's, um, involved with that. So just kind of, um, I'm just really curious of everyone's feedback and then when we're going to adopt it, or if we're going to adopt it full time, I just think that any rule that we move forward is because we've thought it through from every angle and, um, gotten the majority of support. So I support what the, the collective group thinks is best for our sport. Well, and speaking of that, obviously a lot of support with replay at the SEC tournament the last couple of years. Last year, we used it in the regular season for the first time. How do you feel like that went? Were there any adjustments that as the season went on, you thought, hmm, you know, maybe we should add this to the list going forward or anything like that? Oh, I actually think, think it went really well. 
Um, and I think that it's where our sport is. And, um, and I, I think it's needed to get it right. Our, our game is so fast and we rely on our umpires, um, so much. And I think that that's the part that to me is, um, you know, initially I was just kind of like, okay, how are they going to feel about it? But they want it just as much as us because we all just want to get it right. Um, and, and that's the main thing. And so I, there's not much I would change. I think that we're all just going to continue to get more comfortable with it. And, um, and so I'm really excited that we're just continuing to find ways to, to utilize it more. Yeah. I feel like it got much better as the season went on yeah. quicker, you know, more efficient, all that fun stuff. So a plus in my opinion to the sec office. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I, how we used in the sec, I think was really, really good. And I think that got exposed a little bit as we went into the postseason because with the sec kind of, I mean, obviously we were in meetings about it for, for a long time of how to, um, you know, what do we look for on our side from the umpire side, from the conference office side. And I think that the, system they, they put in place was, um, incredibly thoughtful and, you know, trying to go through every, like leaving no stone unturned before actually putting it into play. And so, you know, just having the replay room, having umpires there through the weekend that we're already watching, just allowing to, to turn those decisions back over really quickly was huge. Um, and I know that we felt that once we got into the postseason when you're relying on actually like supplying the footage, sending it somewhere, getting it back. It slows everything down. And, and then you're just, you know, dependent on certain angles, you know, right. But anyway, <laughs> I thought that the sec did a tremendous job of, of implementing it. And, um, they usually do. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Looking at your non-conference schedule this year, you're challenging the team. You're, you're going to Clearwater for that second week, the big Clearwater tournament. Not well, we're going weekend. to UNLV first. So UNLV. Well, yeah, UNLV and then Clearwater. Yeah. So, all right, see, so UNLV, first off, you're giving your team an awesome trip to Las Vegas. So, but <laughs> Tom wanted to know, and we've been asking all the coaches this, when you're putting together your non-conference slate, what is your philosophy as you try and fill out those weeks before conference play? And do you foresee that changing at all when you've got Oklahoma and Texas coming into the league and adding two more very potentially tough opponents are in they, conference are play. They good? I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not familiar with those names. So, um, yeah, well, I think that when we sit down to put together our non-conference schedule, you are trying to, um, you're just trying to put together a good resume for the end of the year, more than anything. Um, it's, it's just all about what's going to position, position our team to in the best best spot for postseason, you know, like what's going to prepare us, what's going to challenge us, what are teams that are going to, um, get, give us good value in our resume, like give us a good value for our RPI, all of those things. And so just trying to create that balance with our, with our conference schedule. I don't know that I see it changing just because I'm not entirely sure the structure of our eight, weekend schedule is going to change a ton. So we'll see as we move closer to that with what the SEC decides um, when we add those two teams. But I don't see that changing much with our non-conference schedule. But looking at this year, it's like, okay, well, we have a very young team. We have the nine freshmen. We have three transfers. Um, 
And so we wanted to be challenged right out of the gates. Um, we wanted to, to see what we're, what we're going to look like, see what adjustments we need to make and, and what we need to do from day one, um, to prepare us not only for the sec part of our schedule, but for the, for its entirety. So, um, we always try to challenge us right from the beginning and, and we definitely did that this season. Yeah, and there's certainly no bigger challenge than Clearwater. I mean, it, it is hard to find a more stacked lineup for a non-conference tournament than that event yeah. down in Florida. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It'll be exciting. Absolutely. Uh, Arkansas head coach Courtney Diefel joining us for Softball Media Days. Coach, one last thing before we let you go. Uh, we have this very fun off-season podcast series called Out of the Box Office, where we bring in past guests and we break down their favorite movies and uh, do all that fun stuff. We've got categories, give out awards. It's awesome. If we were to have you on right now, if I press record on a new podcast, what movie would you pick to discuss? Oh my gosh. Um, uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? I watch mostly Disney movies. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to have to go Disney movie. I'm going to go Mulan. Okay. I like that. There's no wrong right. answer. I mean. Okay. I'm going to go Mulan. There you go. Mulan or Frozen. Now frozen, I'm in. We can we can do some karaoke. <laughs> that all sounds fun. Yeah, I have a seven and five year old at home, so there's not much on the TV usually except uh, Disney. Yeah, understandable. Like yeah, you don't have the Clockwork Orange on during breakfast and stuff like that. Yeah, nope. I get it. I nope. get it. Not too much. <laughs> not too much. Oh, <laughs> uh, Courtney Diefel, always a delight. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. This has been just awesome, and we are so excited to be in Fayetteville for the SEC tournament. It's going to be yeah. a blast. Of course. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to host you. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Thank you to Courtney Diefel for joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Always a delight. I mean, I know that we talk about how much we love these coaches. I genuinely really enjoy every time we get a chance to chat with Courtney Diefel. I wish you'd been there, Tom. But man, you know, she's always got a smile on her face. And I think that it was interesting you know, monitoring her wording. Last year, we remarked on this episode how she came into last season saying she thought they were going to be better than they were the year before. This year, she didn't say something like that. So I think she is confident in the personnel that she has, but she is also curious to see how it pans out once the season actually starts. Yeah, I think she. this is one of the teams where it's going to be January into February before we really kind of know what what they have and what what is there. I think it's good stuff. I think it's a very talented team. Uh, the question is whether it gels together and gets them to lead into an, a chance to defend their title for the second straight year. And the the schedule, once they get into conference play, uh, it gets it gets hard quickly. Yes. Week two and week three, you've got at Alabama and Florida at home. Yeah, there you go. Don't mess around, Arkansas. <laughs> because You better figure that out yes. in February. I will also add, before we preview our next conversation, a big part of this is going to be Shanice Dels. And we have seen in the past transfer pitchers come in and be phenomenal in that first year and then not quite be able to reach that level the year after. Shanice Dels has a lot of tools in the toolbox, and Courtney Diapel certainly seems confident, but now it's up to her to actually perform out there in the circle. Because she doesn't have uh, a lot of the people to kind of take that off of her like she had last year. It's mm -hmm. going to be all about what Dels is able to do. Yeah, half Bloom, Howell, all gone. They didn't bring in a ton of pitchers. Uh, from the, They didn't bring in any pitchers from the portal, yeah. and then they've got a couple recruits, but Dels is going to be the veteran and the ace of that staff. So how will she handle that right. for a and, full year? Right, and now everybody in the conference has seen her. Yes. 
So I, I think that that is as much of a reason of anything is why we see uh, pitchers either have sophomore slumps or, you know, transfers do really well and then have a little bit drop off the next year is because once teams are able to see these pitchers and, you know, they have all the film and they have everything on them, uh, you have to be able to change and adapt and develop different pitches and different ways to go. Because if you come out there and do things exactly the same way as you did the year before, mm-hmm. even if the year before you were unhittable, you're going to become very hittable the next year. Yeah. Yeah. And Courtney Dyfel touched on that a bit, but again, we'll mm-hmm. have to see how it plays out. Yep. You know, and that's what the season is for Tom. It is. That's why they play the game. That's right. South Carolina really hopes that this season goes better. And yes. this is, a conversation we'll dive into a little bit deeper in just a moment, but this is a team that is trying to get back to places where they were just a couple years ago. And on the other side, we'll chat with their head coach, Bev Smith, to see if they can get there. That's next on the Other Box Podcast. Let's go to Columbia, South Carolina, a fun place to visit, although last year was a struggle for South Carolina. We thought it would be. I don't think we imagined it would be a 3-21 and in conference play struggle. But now for the Gamecocks, it's all about refreshing, resetting, and figuring out how you get back to the NCAA tournament in 2023. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it just it takes those type of years where everything kind of bottoms out for you to be able to get that reset and and to move forward and uh i think we get some you know pretty honest answers yeah from uh coach smith here in just a moment uh, about that it's obviously a place where you can win they have won fairly recently if this isn't like this isn't a situation where carolina has just been you know god awful for a decade right it, you know, it's been it's just been a couple <laughs> they were a, a top nine seed a couple years ago exactly so it's it's something that you can get back quickly um and like i said uh, you have had a lot of roster turnover and it was it was frankly needed so yeah. we'll we'll see what the game docs are able to do yeah so let's get our answer yes ben smith the south carolina head coach right here on softball media days welcome back to the out of the box podcast as we continue softball media days gray robertson and tom canterbury here with the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, Bev Smith joining us. Coach, so good to see you again. How are you? Good to see you both. I'm great. Thank you. Coach, before we dive into the softball, we have to talk about something very important. And that is a little tip you gave us last year about a place called the Divine Cinnamon Roll Deli in <laughs> Columbia. It was rated for both Tom and me as our favorite restaurant that we went to on the road last year. So congratulations. Excellent, excellent recommendation. I tell you, I'm I'm good at the uh, restaurant recommendation uh, game. So anytime you're in Columbia, I can help you out. Uh, but we are frequent flyers at uh, the Cinnamon Roll Deli. That is a popular spot for us in general, and then certainly when we have recruits in town. <laughs> I literally the best breakfast sandwich I've ever put in my mouth. The whatever the honey mustard is that they put on it just is the extra topping. That's just tremendous. Totally agree with you. Totally agree. <laughs> 
Well, Coach, congratulations on that gold medal. Got the gold medal on both of our podiums. <laughs> and now let's dive into the softball. Uh, we know last year obviously didn't go as planned for your program. What what steps have you taken here in this offseason to get the team back to where they need to be this year at a, a tournament quality level? Well, I think the biggest thing for us, and I think a lot of coaches, is that you can kind of change things in the transfer portal. Uh, we went out. I, I think we had some nice pieces last year. We were just short some, and uh, we really went out in the transfer portal, and we got um, five quality uh, transfers that I think are going to add uh, to our roster. Uh, they're going to give us more depth, and I think uh, we added five transfers and six freshmen. So um, we're a big group right now. We're at 28, and uh, so it's a big team. Uh, but I tell you, the chemistry this fall has been excellent. I think the competition at practice has just elevated uh, everybody's game. But uh, I think to answer your question, we're going to be better because uh, we got some people uh, with some experience that'll that'll add to our roster. Along with those newcomers coming in, you do bring back a lot of your offensive production from last year, 82% of the hits, 80% of the RBIs. Well, how does having that many returners to go along with those new people coming in uh, really help with the vision you have for the season? Yeah, I, I think it's a year of maturity, right? I, I think we'll see that. I mean, for me, Jordan Fabian uh, coming back really to lead our program. Uh, she looked great this fall. Um, you know, she'll be back and she's just uh, a year stronger. And I always call it seasoned, SEC seasoned. Uh, you know, some of our younger players have been seasoned now and uh, they've come back uh, and, and really have looked great at practice. Uh, we've got one more fall game and, uh, and then we'll complete our, our fall season. But uh, I've been impressed with the things I'm see seeing this season. Coach, you mentioned Jordan Fabian. Who else among the returners has really stepped up this fall and, and looks like they're ready to take that next step in their success? Uh, I've been really pleased with what I've seen from AJ White. I think you're gonna find yourself talking about AJ White this year. Um, she has been strong out of the shoot this year. She's a junior. Uh, she saw a lot of time for us. Uh, she saw a lot of time for us in center field. Um, but I've seen big jumps from her offensively and defensively. So she honestly looks like a, a whole, a much more mature uh, player. So I think you're going to be talking about AJ White a lot this year. Um, I think you're going to see Riley Blampede. Um, I, I think she's a, a player that's another year seasoned. Um, she's looked really good at the plate. I've seen her make some offensive strides. She saw a lot of time at third base for us last year. She's someone who could play anywhere in the infield. So I think we've got some options uh, with Riley, but I'm going to be excited to see what she does on the offensive side. Taking a look at the, the circle for you, coach, and the, the only person you lost in your bullpen was Kelsey O. And Gray and I have talked about a lot that we really hated to see the injuries kind of derail what could have been a, a really great career, I think, for Kelsey O. Uh, but you have a lot of returning arms that showed a lot of flashes at times last year, but I know you're looking for uh, more consistency from them. I agree. And I think that's where we might see some of the differences with the our trans. We have uh, Donnie Goburn, who's a fifth-year senior. She transferred from Florida Atlantic. Um, I think she may come in and be the hardest thrower in the league. Um, so she really has uh, velocity would be her asset. Uh, she's somebody who I've really enjoyed working with and coaching this fall. Um, but again, a, a, a seasoned player, she's a, she's a fifth year, a fifth year senior. And um, 
she's going to give us a different look on the mound just from velocity alone. Um, you've got a, a Leah Powell who comes back, who's had some really good success, uh, and she'll be a junior for us this year. So I'm looking for her to come back and kind of add, um, add to her success. And then we add a freshman named Jory Hurd, who we really picked up late in the season. And by late, I mean, she came in on a Tuesday and was in uh, for orientation on Sunday <laughs> in <laughs> August, but uh, she's been a nice ad. And I think she's somebody um, who's going to continue to develop over time, but, but it certainly gives us a different look. So um, we've got a fifth year senior in, in Rachel Vaughn, who's a, a left-handed uh, specialist for us. Carson Oaks is a senior. So we've, we've got a staff. I think uh, we spent some time this fall really trying to figure out. And I think for me personally, trying to figure out how can I maximize the staff? And, um, you know, you just don't see many pitchers anymore go through the lineup three times. So what can we do differently as a staff? Because I think certainly the mound is where we need to improve. And uh, we've spent a lot of time this fall trying to figure out, can we pair pitchers together better? Can I make better substitutions? Um, you know, going back and looking at games and seeing if we could have played it a little different. So uh, I think with the addition of Jory and Donnie, um, we just have a, a staff of seven and we should be able to figure some things out uh, to get the outs we need in ball games. Coach, you mentioned a staff of seven. That is mm -hmm. a lot of arms. How do you manage that in practice? Um, well, we get, we throw live a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we have a new hitting coach and Josh Bloomer. He's been a new addition uh, to the staff. And I told, I told uh, coach Bloomer at the beginning, I said, listen, we've got seven pitchers. There's no reason our hitters aren't getting enough live AB. So um, we're able to um, manage it with, you know, you have some time in the pen and time to work on your stuff. And then you've got time to challenge hitters live. So um, our hitters are getting a lot of live looks, a lot of live ABs. Coach, you mentioned some of the transfers coming in, and I want to talk about one in particular that I saw this summer at the FGCL. That's Brooke Blankenship coming from Florida State, and she might be the smoothest defender I've ever seen, at least from what I saw this summer. Where does she fit in, as well as everybody else who you brought in from the portal uh, with this team this season? Well, I think you see what I'm seeing at practice. I mean, Brooke Blankenship got over at shortstop, and we said, Oh, okay. Yep. She's going to play there. <laughs> yeah. Brooke will play it short. <laughs> um, so um, she has been dynamic. Now I had, I had six years of Kenzie McGuire uh, on the field and certainly um, Kenzie and Brooke Blankenship grew up together in Hudson, Florida. So they, they, they came from the same mold, the a Kevin McGuire special, right? So I had Kenzie on my staff who was a dynamic shortstop and you know, how I've been able to explain it to Gamecock fans is um, Brooke Blankenship is just like Kenzie McGuire, right? Kenzie McGuire is over at shortstop again. So uh, we're thrilled to have her. Um, I've seen her make some big stride strides under Coach Bloomer's um, tutelage at the plate. So I'm excited also to see what she's going to do on the offensive side. But uh, she is fun, fun, fun to watch on defense. And what about the rest of the portal kids. I mean, you've got Natalie Morgan coming in from Furman, Jen Cummings from Washington that like, you know, like you said, you've got a lot of people uh, with experience that you're trying to fit in with a, a pretty hefty list of returners. Right. And it's been, I will say seamless. 
Uh, Jen Cummings coming in from Washington is going to add to us uh, behind the plate. Uh, she brings some maturity and experience and uh, having to come in and really get to know seven different pitchers. Um, but she's been great. She's going to add a left-handed stick uh, to the lineup for us. Uh, we add Anaya Black from University of Georgia. Um, and I'm excited because for us, we felt like one of the things we were missing was some, some thump in the lineup, some power numbers. And I think we get that uh, with Anaya. She's looked, she's looked really strong here uh, in the fall season. And she's just a delight to have around on the team. Her maturity and her leadership is really showing up for us in the locker room. Uh, Natalie Morgan is somebody, she's a, she was a, a Furman and has, she's in the HR program, uh, the business school. She's in the HR program. And I've never seen someone as organized to uh, be in graduate school, come back on the field, go back for a class, come back to practice. Um, but I have really appreciated Natalie's uh, commitment and same thing, her maturity and just her character is exactly what you want infusing with your team. So she's really been uh, a delight to get to know as well. Before we talk about the, uh, the entirety of the freshman class, one that we wanted to talk about specifically was Reagan Marchant, who both Gray and I saw in the FGCL. She was the only incoming freshman to play in the league and certainly held her own there. What do you think that experience playing in a league like that uh, will do for her coming in to playing in the SEC? Well, she's the one that said it to me. She said, coach, that was the best experience of my life. Um, she enjoyed, she enjoyed playing in the league. She grew so much. Um, you could tell the difference when she got to practice that she just was very confident. Um, she's, she's really been looking strong. Don't, don't quote me on this, but I think it was her first at bat this fall. She hit a home run. Uh, I don't know if it was her first or second, but she had a home run in the first game she played in uh, this fall. So she was really off to a strong start, but she's playing uh, at first base for a Hus behind Jordan Fabian. But um, I tell you, she's going to come in and get some um, some good ABs a for us. What about the rest of the freshman coach? Walk us through this large class of freshmen that you've got on the team. <laughs> okay, um, so we've got Brianna Condon, who's going who's gonna to add depth to our middle infield. Uh, she also is another smooth, uh, smooth infielder that's really fun to watch on the left side of the field. Um, everyone calls her juice. Kadra Parker, she's from Tennessee. She's going to be an outfielder for us. Uh, Rue, her nickname's Rue. You got to have a nickname really, right? To be on, of to course. be a serious softball player. <laughs> um, uh, Rue is a left-handed stick. Uh, Coach Bloomer has been really impressed with her progress at the plate. Uh, I think she's somebody that's going to come in and surprise people potentially, uh, at the plate, strong arm in the outfield. Uh, Kai Ricks, um, Kai Ricks has been, we call her little baby, little baby comes in and um, she really provides a lot of speed for us. Um, in fact, she alone kind of turned the energy in a fall game for us, put a bunt down, beat it out. Uh, I think you're going to see her primarily coming in um, to pinch run to start, but she has really been impressive in the outfield. So uh, I'm really pleased with her progress, but she's got legit SEC speed. And then we've got uh, Hannah Holly, who who uh, who came in and is doing um, a lot of I would call her utility player right now. She's doing uh, some bullpen catching for us, uh, but has has seen time for us in the outfield. 
Um, but she has had some impressive at bats in the way she's come in. Um, our freshmen, I'll say, have really had some very mature uh, at bats for us, for sure. And then we've already talked about uh, about Reagan Rashan as well. So it's a it's really a, a great group, and um, I look for that freshman class to be impact, impactful this year. Coach, who is on the nickname committee? Who is deciding <laughs> these nicknames? Is that a senior thing? No, you know, sometimes you just grow into them. The I would say our our most classic one is Hannah Kumiyama. Her name is Chug, and she got that when she came in as a freshman. And I accidentally wrote it on the lineup card the other day for a scrimmage, and so they announced her as Chug Kumiyama. And she she said, "Coach, please don't do that." <laughs> and, it's just so natural for me to call her Chug. I didn't even think about it when I wrote out the lineup card. So I was like, my bad, Hannah, I'll do better next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, when you have that many freshmen coming in and you do have, have a, a larger roster, how important is it for the freshmen just to kind of, you know, run their own race, so to speak, and not, you know, and not be like, well, if I'm not playing right now, um, then I'm doing something wrong. Well, you know, we, we've spent some time, I mean, that's been intentional. We've spent some time on team activities. We've spent time in them getting to know each other because it's 11 new people in the, in the locker room right now. And um, so we've been intentional about um, team get togethers, team events, shared experiences. You know, we've done some things at Fort Jackson this year um, and just done things together so that, you know, we're trying to create the uh, to help them get to know each other a little bit too. So the freshmen, I would say more so than our upperclassmen have been great mentors to them. Um, you know, they've given them kind of permission to fail and it's okay. As long as we're, I mean, we say it all the time, you know, as long as we're making new mistakes, we're all fine. Right. It's, we don't want to keep seeing the same mistakes, but, um, we're at that point in practice where everybody recognizes that, okay, we're just going to keep pushing and getting better. And it's, um, I've been really pleased with the progress this team's made uh, just from a, a culture and unity standpoint. Coach, there's one more thing I want to get to before we dive into all the coaches or all the questions that we are going to ask every coach and that's South Carolina. I mean, what I've been so impressed by in the last couple of years, as I've watched it closer and closer is the camaraderie amongst all the coaches. I mean, there was a video a couple of weeks ago that surfaced of Shane Beamer shouting out, different athletes from each women's athletic team at South Carolina. It just seems like such a close knit athletic department. How does that help you bring in players to what I'm sure is a very family atmosphere in Columbia? Yeah, I, I think for us, it's so authentic. And we talk about it in the recruiting process. We really believe that our people separate us here, right? I think any school you go to is going to have nice stadiums and they're going to have tutors and great uniforms. And, uh, we really believe here at South Carolina, our people are separators. And, uh, you know, an example of that, I had recruits in last week. We're going to watch a little bit of women's basketball practice. And Coach Daly is a good friend of mine and certainly a fan of softball. But we're on our way into their facility. And Lamont Harris, the new men's basketball coach, sees us and walks out in the hallway and said, hey, coach, are these your recruits? I want to meet them. And it's just so authentic and genuine um, that we're, we're all pulling for each other and help when we can. Coach Beamer came over from the sideline to speak to our recruits last week uh, before the Texas A&M game. And he, he wanted to meet them and, and 
had a couple minutes to say hello and he's he's getting ready to play an SEC football game in 30 minutes and so um I am very proud of the colleagues that I have here and like I said it's it's just a, a very genuine team effort here. Yeah, Coach Beamer and his family were in the in the booth with us for a little while at one of the games this past year when we were there for Alabama. So yeah, you can definitely tell it's a, uh, it's a full athletic department event <laughs> when teams are playing. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. And uh, certainly cheering for him and all the success he's having. He's certainly, he's certainly deserving of it. We're here with the South Carolina head coach, Bev Smith and coach. Now we dive into all the things that we're going to cover with every single coach that we talk to on the show. And I wanted to first talk about the safety base. This was a hot topic for a very long time. And now it's been passed under experimental usage. The language on the rules is that it has to be mutually agreed upon by the competing institution. So I just want to know, is that something that you're going to try and have at South Carolina home games? Yes, our plan was to institute it this fall. We wanted to we wanted to train with it and play with it in the fall, uh, and we've had an issue in getting the base. So uh, we talked about it some at our fall meeting as head coaches, and around the room, I think maybe only one school had the actual base. So it was a little bit of an issue getting the base. But I do think it's something that we want to use. You're seeing a lot of uh, injuries and collisions at first base, and I think. For me personally, um, I think we can avoid that by using the safety base. So I think we're willing to uh, give it a try. You know, the SEC has kind of been the front runner in, in trying out some of the new rules. Um, you know, instant replay being one of them, which I think uh, has been really beneficial. So we'll see how it comes out on the on the safety base, but I'm certainly in favor of it. And Coach, my question's about uh, your general non-conference scheduling philosophy considering the strength of the conference that you play in uh, year in and year out, uh, just what is your general philosophy? And then do you foresee it changing here in the next couple of years in any way with teams caliber of Oklahoma and Texas coming to the league? Well, I, I think it's up to the head coach to schedule a non-conference um, schedule that for the team that you know, you have, right. Um, our league is so competitive. It's important that you have to be thinking, Hey, we've got to be 500 right? You want to be 500. Uh, so there's that, there's that to consider. And then, and then secondly, it's what am I scheduling for? So, um, you know, for me, it was uh, at times an intent that we wanted to be a top 16 seed. So you've got to be competitive enough in your non-conference play if you want to try to get a top 16 seed. So I think every head coach really has different goals and what they're trying to accomplish um, with their non-conference schedule. But um, I would say, first of all, being 500 is probably uh, first and foremost in their head. But then there's those teams who are like, hey, we want to we wanna host regionals at home. And so um, really scheduling for that is important as well, because I do think the committee looks at when you have an opportunity to control your opponent, what does it look like? And I, I think coaches are being judged on how they do that. Last thing, coach, we always like to close with something fun. We've asked in the past about food, about being the czar of college softball. And now we're going to ask you about movies. We do a podcast series called Out of the Box Office. We go for the punny title and it's where we bring on guests and we break down some of their favorite movies. So coach, if we were to have you on Out of the Box Office, what movie would you pick? What is one of your favorites? 
Oh, easy for me. Uh, Shawshank Redemption is one of my favorite movies of all time. Love it. We're gonna have to have we're gonna have to have you on for that because that's yeah. that's on my that's on my list as well. That's that's one of those yeah. movies that when you're flipping it around, if it's on, you stop no matter when it where it's at and you and you watch it. Yes, yes. Um, I have I have a few of those movies that you just sit and you're like, okay, I'll watch it again for the fifteenth time. <laughs> but Shawshank Redemption, I can I I love that movie. We will take every advantage that we have to talk about Morgan Freeman on this podcast. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, consider yes, us yes. ready to go. South Carolina head coach Bev Smith joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, so good to see you again. We will see you in a couple months in Tuscaloosa when Carolina comes to Alabama. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward. Thank you, guys. So there we go. That's Bev Smith. And I just want to say this off the top here. Um, it's I don't know how conveyed it is in the interview. I certainly hope it is. We really do enjoy our conversations with Bev Smith. And Absolutely. I think she's just a delightful person. It's it's hard sometimes for that to come across when you're talking about a team that has struggled so much. But I think that she gives us really quality stuff. And in particular, she seems very excited about all of these new faces, the the Jim Cummings, the Natalie Morgans, the Brooke Blankenships, the Anaya Blacks. You've got, you know, a hearty amount of pitchers, as they always do. Sure. But this is a coach in Bev Smith, I think, who is confident that her team is not going to be disappointed on Selection Sunday this year. Again, whether that happens, we'll see. But I like the tone that she had. I did, too. And I, I, I thought the answer that she gave us on uh, the conference or the non-conference scheduling question that I asked. I thought it was a little bit telling because she was about the she was the only one that I can remember is off the top of my head that referenced, you know, you got to be over 500. Yeah. Like you. So I, I think she understands where where the team is right now. Uh, I know she's wanting to where to be a point where you're looking at hosting, not necessarily just trying to sneak into the tournament. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to do everything they can to make the tournament this year and to continue uh, moving up off of what they what's happened the last couple of years. And, you know, you take a look at, and you can understand when you talk to Coach Smith, why South Carolina it can, you know, keep, you know, has the trust in her yeah. to allow her, allow the program to try to pull itself out of what has just been a couple bad years. Yeah, but truly, and I think, again, that was kind of the focal point of the conversation, a lot of it's going to come down to pitching. Yeah. Can the pitching staff just overall get better? At this point, you're not even asking them to find an ace. The team ERA last season was 4-2-6. That's just way too high yeah. for an overall season ERA. Yeah, you, you, got to, you got to improve in that area. At times, the lineup was able to produce, but you got to get more consistent lineup production in the offense as well. Uh, but, yeah, you, you got to find – if it's not necessarily an ace, because, you know, in softball in 2023, you don't necessarily have to have an ace, but you have to have consistency. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. You know who doesn't typically have an ace? Mm. Missouri. Oh, I didn't even mean to do that. Larissa loves the Jenny Allstaff, or however it's called. And this year, they're going to be relying on those pitchers a little bit more than normal with so much turnover on the offensive side. That is our transition to Missouri. When we come back, we'll chat about the Tigers here on the Out of the Box podcast. softball media days with larissa anderson from missouri one of our friends and this is a 
interesting interview. A, this is one of the very first that we did. Like Missouri got back to us real quick. We had this done and sitting in the archives a month ago. Mm. So as I say in the industry, it's been in the can. Yes. Mm -hmm. So things might have changed, just being honest, since that conversation. But I think what's not going to change is the fact that this is a very experienced pitching staff that Missouri is going to lean on. You've got just over 40% of your hits returning, less than 35% of RBIs, but 100% of your innings pitched back. That's huge. And Larissa Anderson can utilize that early. And it was a pitching staff that seemed to get better as the year went along, as people kind of figured out where their role was. Um, and, and again, it may not be where you're going to have a, a definite pitcher that's going every Friday night, but you know, the, when, once you're able to kind of know what you're doing and where you fit in, in, in the grand scheme of things and the plan pitching wise, it gets so much easier. And I think you kind of saw that as the season went along for the Tigers and, uh, I know that's what you're going to be looking for in 2023. Absolutely. And of course, Coach Anderson also has some things to add about the offense. And stay tuned for the final question. Don't fast forward. You're going to want to hear that. Yeah. Just a, a little tease. Yes, that, that's what we will be talking about in just a moment. Yes. For sure. <laughs> but now let's go to Larissa Anderson, the Missouri head coach here on day two of Softball Media Days. Welcome back to Softball Media Days. Gray Robertson and Tom Canberry here as we travel to Columbia, Missouri, which we will be doing later on in the 2023 season to chat with our friend, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, Loris Anderson. Coach, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We are wonderful, and I wanted to start with a congratulations, the newest NFCA president, Larissa Anderson, and coach, for those out there who might not know what those duties entail, what will your job be as president of the NFCA? You know, the, the NFCA is a member organization. Um, it's a nonprofit organization, but we're, I'm representing all of the coaches at every level, Division One, Two, Three, NAIA, Junior College, high school travel ball. Um, so I'm representing them and I am their voice in making sure that we're carrying out the duties of the organization. Um, I've been serving on the board as a vice president for six years now. Um, so I'm looking forward to this next term being president. Um, you know, we're just real excited about this opportunity and being able to lead this great organization. And if we, before we get into uh, other stuff with specific with your team, but uh, one of your duties that you'll be discussing, I'm sure uh, the upcoming vote talking about adding the, the fourth paid position and a fifth volunteer. Um, just your thoughts on that and, and how, how much do you think that is going to kind of shape your, your early part of your tenure here? You know, the, I wish I could take credit for that, but the NFCA and, and the board has been petitioning and talking to the NCAA about that fourth assistant for quite some time. We partnered up with baseball and, and it got tabled uh, last year. So I'm glad that they're at least discussing that across the board. Um, and there's a couple other projects. And, you know, one of the big things is we're looking to move the season back, um, working with baseball to potentially play a little bit later since February is really not spring. Um, and then we have a couple other things that we're really trying to campaign to, to continue, continue to grow the sport and really develop it and get it to be at the level that we know it all we expect. Coach, I know that uh, pushing the season back has been something you've been talking about for a couple of years, because as you said, February, not spring, especially in Missouri. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and it can be, it's brutal in three quarters of the country. Um, and I just think about all the money that is spent by universities in February trying to travel and getting all the games in and 
you know, student athlete welfare. It's not, it's not enjoyable playing softball in 34 degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because you're, you're talking about financially, uh, we've seen a lot of reports saying that as far as that, that adding that position, it's almost to a 50, 50 split on, on what the vote's going to be. Um, is there any reason to not add it other than, a you know, uh, some institutions would have an issue with paying an extra, uh, an extra uh, coach on the staff? You know, it's, it's going to be up to every institution on how they want to fund it. It can still be technically a volunteer position, but now you're unrestricting their responsibilities. Right now, a volunteer coach can't recruit off campus. They cannot get tickets to go to a football or basketball game. They cannot get meals when you have official visits on campus. So there's so many restrictions that that position has that one compromises and it gives programs an opportunity to have violations because it's very easy to have a meal for an official visit. And if the volunteer has something in that meal, then all of a sudden they committed a violation, which doesn't make any sense. And then me being the head coach, my job and my responsibility is to mentor my assistants so that they can further their careers. And here you have a very valuable position, a volunteer that they're paying their own way. They're trying to fund it themselves. And I'm not able to completely mentor them. I'm not able to teach them the most important aspect of the profession, and that's recruiting. So eliminating those restrictions is going to at least allow our staff to grow. It's going to allow their careers to be able to grow. And if each institution decides how they want to fund it, great. Just eliminate those restrictions so then now they continue to grow their career. The other strange thing is you have a volunteer that isn't getting paid by the university and if they were to get hit by a pitch, if they were to get a, you know, hit when they're throwing batting practice, if they were going to be hit by a, a line drive, we can't even help pay for their medical services, which doesn't make any sense that the NCAA is saying, yes, this position is valuable, but no, we cannot contribute in any way in the cost of that position. That all sounds like common sense. So my hope it is. does, <laughs> And you just got me all fired up because it just doesn't make any sense that, it, yeah, we agree that you need to have the coach, but no, they can't do this and we cannot fund them and we can't pay for medical supplies. So voters, if you're listening, vote common sense. That's, that's what we're looking for. for common this vote. sense, please. Yes. <laughs> Coach, let's talk about the Tigers. Last year was an interesting season for your team. And I know we had a conversation about it before our series in Tuscaloosa last year. But the non-conference schedule, a little bit of a mixed bag. Early conference, a bit of a mixed bag. You went on that great hot streak going into the SEC tournament and then kind of fell victim to what a lot of SEC teams fell victim to, struggling in regionals. So when you look back at the 2022 campaign, what are your main takeaways? I mean, consistency. I don't think we were consistent through the whole year. The great thing is we peaked at the end of the season, and that's what you want to do all the time. We want to be peaking when we're going into playoffs, and we did that. The last month of our season was outstanding. Um, it was that little little valley that we had that was was frustrating, and I think we could have put ourselves in a better position going into the postseason, but I mean, we finished extremely strong. Um, you know, I think when we started off as well as we did, I don't think we put forth that that effort going into the regular season. When we started opening up conference play, we didn't have that same drive and determination. It's almost that, oh, look at how great we're doing. We're here. We've done that. And we didn't compete from the very beginning. Um, and then when you get a little wake up call that I'm counting games and saying, you know what, well, we might not even be finishing above 500. We might not make it to the NCAAs and get a bid, even if our RPI is a top 20 team. Um, that gets a, get a little wake up call because that conference is absolutely so tough. Um, you could go winless throughout the entire year and, and have an unbelievable team just because of how competitive this conference is. 
So you can't assume you're going to win any games any weekend. So we just have to make sure that we compete from day one here on out. And we really just focus on our opponent that we're having right then and there at that time. And Coach, we've talked to you before. We've talked a lot about uh, the senior class that just graduated. You had a great group of, of ladies that uh, has finished their career at Missouri. Brooke Wilmus, Kim Work, Kendall Bailey, Cassie Shomo, Emma Robbie, Patty Moore. Uh, a great group. Uh, what did those players mean to your program? I mean, their, their loyalty, their dedication cannot be replicated. I mean, to have eight fifth-year seniors come back for their fifth COVID year is, was just tremendous. And I think that just speaks volumes on the culture that we have here and that players want to be a part of it and they want to finish out their career at, at where they started. Um, so I, I can never, ever thank them enough for their loyalty and their dedication to this program. And I think that they left a lasting legacy that's going to last a long time on what it really means to be a Mizzou Tiger. Um, at the same time, as valuable as they were and the accolades and the awards, I'm real excited for this up and coming team. They've paid their dues. They've waited kind of in the wings for those kids to graduate. And when you look at other programs around the country and when the fifth years come back, other kids might say, you know what, I, I'm going to move on. I'm going to go somewhere else that I'm guaranteed a starting position. And those kids just waited and they were very, very committed to the program. And now here is their opportunity to be able to shine. Yeah, and of course, when you lose that much production, you, you've got to have a pillar to build a, a team and an offense around, and of course, a defense, and that pillar is Jenna Laird, the Gold Glove winner last year, the SEC Freshman of the Year a couple seasons ago, and now she's one of the veterans on your team. How has she taken to that leadership role ahead of 2023? You know, it's interesting. We just got done finishing with um, the Navy SEAL military program that's called the program, and one of the questions I brought up to one of these instructors was, we have two, two of our best players are very silently leading and it's Jenna Laird and Alex Honnold. There are two best softball players, far none within our program. And they're very internal and are not outwardly vocal. Um, how do we handle that? How do we put them in situations that we expect them to lead, which is out of their comfort zone? And his message to me, which helped me become a better coach was, get them to be the best softball players possible. Don't be so focused on them leading because now they're going to be focused on leading rather than being the best softball players that they can. So it's not relying solely on Jenna being different. Jenna doesn't have to be Brooke and being as vocal and outwardly as Brooke Wilmis. Jenna needs to be Jenna and Jenna needs to be the best possible softball player that she can be. And it doesn't mean she has to say anything. And then same with Alex Honnold. We can get that energy and that leadership from players like Riley Frizzell and Vanessa Hollingsworth and, you know, players that are really stepping into that role and just telling Jenna, Jenna, you're at the top of the lineup. The table setters are going to set it for you. You need to come through. Outside of, outside of Laird, you mentioned a couple of them just there, just now, but who do you think is going to be uh, some of those returners that's really going to step up here this year? Kara Daly by first and foremost, Kara Daly is, going to be such a force in her career. Um, she's really finding her voice. She was a freshman last year and won that third base spot. Um, but we're going to rely heavy, heavily on her for some offensive production. And Riley Frizzell is someone that competed with Emma Robbie at first base her entire career. And now she's really taking it and really wants to stand out the way we know she's capable of doing. Um, she's kind of been in Emma Robbie's shadows and, you know, had some spot playing and was a DP here and there. But, I mean, she's really elevated her game, and we're going to rely heavily on her in the middle of the lineup as well. 
Well, you know I love Frizzy. So shout out to Riley Frizzell, FGCL. <laughs> yeah, right. Frizzy's, Frizzy's awesome and has such a great voice and energy. Um, so she's going to provide a lot of that, that energy and that enthusiasm, that spark. I mean, she did it from the dugout last year, and I know she's going to do it on the field. And coach, you also went into the portal and brought in Peyton Jackson from Texas Tech, who has had a really good tenure with the Red Raiders. Now I'm sure you're hoping that carries over to Columbia. What does she add to the lineup for you? You know, it's neat. I, I, this is the first time I've gone in the portal um, and we were thin with experience in the outfield. And that was the, the what we were trying to bring in and trying to go after. And someone like Peyton gives such a different perspective to what their experiences were before. They appreciate the opportunities that they have playing in the SEC and playing at Mizzou much differently than incoming freshmen do because they've experienced something else. And she had a very good career at Texas Tech, um, a lot of coaching changes, and it's the consistency and it's the culture that she's really thriving under that's going to elevate her game. And it wasn't a portal edition, but you made another edition uh, in the offseason, bringing in Jeff Cottrell from Oklahoma State. Uh, to your coaching staff, what changes has he brought to the program already? I think that's my best coaching move I've made yet. <laughs> um, I mean, he has been just absolutely tremendous in his experience. I mean, he coached in the College World Series three years in a row. He understands what it takes to get to that level. So he can talk from it from an experience standpoint, but he's such a great balance to my personality. Um, I can be a little bit type A and um, very intense at times, and he is my even keel. Um, he understands every individual player. He's had a great relationship with all the players, um, and he's great to bounce ideas off of. And so, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing how we go throughout the spring season because our fall was outstanding. Here with Missouri head coach Loris Anderson on softball media days. And coach, we've talked about the offense and trying to replace all those people. Let's talk about the pitching, your bread and butter. You are the only SEC team to return 100% of your innings pitched from last year. And they took a nice step forward with the team ERA a season ago. What makes you think that this group can keep getting better as they keep getting more experience? What makes that staff work? You know, it's funny when, when I hired Jeff, the one thing, first thing I asked him was, what can you tell me about our program? And he, the first thing he said is how unbelievable our pitching staff is. And yes, I, I think they're great. I don't think they've even reached their potential. Um, when I look at who they are and what they've done, and I mean, they threw three shutouts in SEC tournament, which is so unbelievably tough to do, especially with the offensive teams that we, we have to face. Um, they do it because they buy into the process and knowing that they're in better shape now this year than they were last year, knowing that they have that experience underneath their belt, they're just going to continue to get better and want more. They want to go to the world series. So they have that drive and determination to continue to push each other, which is now mentoring the freshman pitchers that we have, because we brought in three freshman pitchers that are so unbelievably talented. And now those freshmen are gonna be mentored by our upperclassmen, which is gonna make us that much stronger. Jordan Weber and Lauren Krings at the, uh, at the top of that staff, the uh, one-two punch, uh, what makes them so effective? They're different, and, but at the same time, they're very similar. Jordan has such great control and command. I mean, she's only throwing 59 to 61 in the SEC. And, the stuff she's able to do, she has that ability to be read batter swings and know exactly where she has to put that ball in order to get an easy out for the ball not to be hit hard. Um, 
she has, she's very, very competitive. And we just went over, we're going into the last three weeks of our fall season. And I asked every pitcher what their goals are for the rest of the fall. And hers is to maintain that same competitiveness and practice that she knows she has in the game. Um, Lauren Kring's high velocity. She has really done a great job getting herself in the best shape that she's been in so far since she's been here, which is giving her more consistency. She's not fatiguing out as fast. She has great body control. So her accuracy and her control is, is completely different than it was last year. Last year, she was conveniently wild. She threw hard. She had great movement. And at times we had no idea where the ball was going. Now she's working both sides of the plate, which she has not been able to do in her first two years here. How important will it be to lean on that pitching staff, especially early in the year as all of your young players try and kind of figure out what they look like as a part of your starting lineup? You know, and not that I, I think I could have, I couldn't have scripted this better. Um, and a lot of it was really out of my control and how players came in and the recruiting. But when Krings and Jordan and Emma and Schumacher came in, we had four freshman pitchers with an experienced defense. So then our, our pitchers could make mistakes because I knew our experienced lineup and our experienced defense would bail them out. Now we have experience on the mound with inexperience behind them. So it's going to be the pitcher's responsibility on let's make it a little bit easier for our defense. Let's get maybe some more strikeouts. Let's get the ball hit a little bit softer, easy ground balls, easy fly balls. So then our defense doesn't feel that pressure. Um, and the same thing with our offense. If it's going to take us to have a couple shutouts or keep the ERA even below two, doesn't put as much pressure on our offense to feel like they have to score as many runs. And that's what experience can get you. Who are some of the, uh, the newcomers coming in that we're going to hear their names a lot as we follow Missouri this season? Um, you're going to hear a lot about Sierra Harrison. She's a freshman pitcher. Um, she is very, very special um, again, but she is a freshman. So, you know, sometimes you got to teach them how to walk and chew gum at the same time, but <laughs> she's very special. She's going to be one that we're going to rely on heavily on the mound. Um, she throws upper sixties. She's got great swing and miss movement on her rise ball. Um, so she's going to be very special. And then so they're not newcomers, but they have really fought and competed their way into the starting rotation right now. Um, Shantice Phillips. Shantice is a junior and she has just worked her butt off this summer and, and this fall, and she's earned an outfield spot as of right now. And Vanessa Hollingsworth is another one. Um, did not get a lot of playing time last year. She was probably our first pinch hitter coming off the bench. Um, and she's worked her way into the starting conversations in the outfield. So those are two we're, we're extremely excited about. We still have competition going on behind the plate and at second base. Um, so not everything is set in stone, but the nine or I should say maybe 10 to 12 deep I'm looking at in those starting roles are really extremely athletic, enthusiastic, and competing at a very high level. Larissa Anderson joining us for Softball Media Days. Coach, let's get into some of the more broad topics that we're going to talk about uh, with every coach that we interview on the show. And we'll start, of course, with the safety base, the experimental usage rule coming into this year. Um, obviously, it's it's not quite set in stone. It depends on mutual agreements from both teams when they're playing and all that fun NCAA jargon. Is that something that you plan on having at Missouri? Um, we've used it in practice. We started using it a couple of years ago because we had a, a collision that was not anyone's fault. The throw was perfect. And we had a runner that was running down the first baseline and she, her fist and her stride had hit the hip bone of the first baseman, completely clean play and it broke her hand. So 
it's something that I would use. I'm not adamant one way or the other. Um, we did not put in the waiver as of right now. I still have the January 1st, but in talking with the SEC, not everybody has the ability to be able to purchase the base in time. And we weren't able to use it in fall competition because they weren't in stock for, for our fall competition. So it's something as, are we going to get enough live practices to be able to benefit from it in the spring? Because I would hate to just throw it out there in the spring and we really haven't practiced it all year. Right. Uh, we were talking before we started the interview about your non-conference schedule coming up this year. Um, just in general, what is your non-conference scheduling philosophy considering uh, the strength of the of the the conference you play in, and then do you think that it will change any when programs the caliber of Oklahoma and Texas enter the SEC? Um, I already know that the conference schedule is going to kick my butt, so I need <laughs> to have a good balance of preparation and also not completely destroy us before we go into conference play that's already going to destroy us. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a very, very good balance. And one of the reasons why the SEC is so dominant and we are the number one RPI conference in the country is because we win over 80% of our non-conference games. So in making sure that I'm putting together a schedule that is competitive enough, but realistic enough that we're going to go into conference play um, with a pretty high winning percentage. You can't go into conference play being below 500 um, and expect to get out of the hole. So <laughs> it's, it's finding that good balance and playing somewhere that is reasonable and also warm. Yeah, and you have quite the schedule as we were talking about going out or going coming down to Florida, uh, going out to California this year. You know, we open up at the NFCA leadoff classic and our opening game is against Texas. And then our third game of the season against Northwestern. So you're going to get tested right away. And I'd much rather get tested early on in that first week of the season. So it's going to expose what we need to work on and, and the level that we have to play at um, and what we need to prepare on to going into SEC. So immediately out of the shoe, I mean, we're, we're going right at them and we're going to get tested right away. We're going to get to the fun stuff in a second, but I did want to ask because the last time I saw you, they had announced the SEC tournament and how that would work with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. I'm not asking you to break any news, but how is the scheduling discussion for the regular season going once the SEC does add those other two teams? We're going to stay with our same nine-team format. We're not going to add additional conference games um, for, the, for the reason that I just explained. The more conference games you add, the lower your RPI gets because one team in your conference is going to win, one is going to lose. And if anybody loses in, in any, at any point, conference games or non-conference, it's going to reduce the winning percentage. So we're going to keep the same number of weekends. Um, we're going to work on a, it's actually going to be a seven year rotation that you will play everybody home and away within seven years. Um, so we will have additional buys. We will have everybody going to the conference tournament. We'll probably add another day within our conference tournament, but making our conference that much stronger, it's important for us to make sure that we have full representation. Sounds fun and not at all confusing. <laughs> not at all. I'm glad that they hire another company to decide the scheduling. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, Coach, we, we have the, the segment here on the show, Tom's Hungry, where we talk about where we go uh, to eat when we go out on the road. And we're coming to Columbia this year, as we talked about. Last year, you gave us some great recommendations that I can't wait to try. Uh, or I've been to before. Bucci's and Shakespeare's is two of the best in the entire conference, no matter what you're talking about. You talk, told us about Addison's uh, tropical liquors. We'll see how we'll see if that's necessary. Uh, and then uh, hot box cookies as well, which I will that will be either celebratory or 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 otherwise when we go there as well. But 
Now, any anything else you want to add to our recommendation list? So we got the new plates. I actually have some. My staff bought these for me. Uh, crumble Ooh. cookie. This was my gift for being president of the NFCA. Um, so you can try hot box and you can try crumble cookie. Um, so that's a good good addition. Um, those are still all my go tos. But do you, like if you want some really good wings and some good barbecue, D Rose. They have the best smoked wings in Columbia. He, the David is a former Mizzou football player and now owns this restaurant with his family. Um, so that's a definite, I love the steak kebabs and then also the baby back ribs. I'm yes. writing it all down. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. I already know based on the travel schedule, we're going to be there for a couple of days. So we'll do our best to, to space everything out. Last thing, Coach, we have started an off-season podcast series called Out of the Box Office, where we bring on guests and talk about their favorite movies, and we break it all down, and it's been a lot of fun. If we were to have you on, what movie would you want to pick? What, oh, what is one you, you don't even have to finish your sentence. It's The Natural. Okay. The natu- I, and it's, I would say The Natural because Roy Hobbs is the best player there ever was and the best player there ever will be. And <laughs> again, picture in my office of Roy Hobbs. Oh, yes. Yep. Okay. So he is my absolute favorite. Um, and the miracle, I think the miracle is one of the best underdog stories in sport. Um, I make the team watch it on the bus every single year. And we're always watching it as we head down to Kentucky and we're six and elbow and playing in John Crop Stadium. So we're going to continue to watch <laughs> the miracle. <laughs> Wow. Uh, for the natural, Bump Bailey running through the wall and dying is one of the funniest and just, it's funny, but it's not like, it's not like major league funny. It's just funny, uh, that whole situation. That is a great movie, a great choice. Yeah, thank you very much. I actually, in my wedding, my husband and I walked out to the theme song from the natural into our reception. That's how cheesy I am. <laughs> I love it. I wish that this wasn't an audio medium and people could have seen the picture you just showed us. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is no, why we I, love to I'm do not this lie, I was at a, a Redskins Giants football game back when I lived on the East Coast. And there was a gentleman two rows ahead of me that had a New York Knights varsity jacket. And I, the whole entire game, I was like, I can't, I, he's my hero. Like, this is awesome. This is legit. How do I get a New York Knights varsity jacket? <laughs> I thought you were about to pull one out from off screen. No, <laughs> and here it is. out there if anyone wants to send me a Christmas present. Uh, okay, audience, you know what to do. Just send it to <laughs> Columbia, Missouri. <laughs> Larissa Anderson joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, always a delight to chat with you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you in a couple months. Awesome. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. So, Larissa Anderson, big, big fan of movie paraphernalia excuse me while i pull out this this <laughs> this bat that was used in the natural <laughs> wow i was like wow what what do you not do you have the heart of the the ocean diamond back there as well somewhere sam fisher is laughing <laughs> no tom my favorite part was when she was describing this jacket i swear i thought she was about to turn around and just <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, great stuff. Uh, great Love stuff. Marissa Anderson. But um, you know, as we as we look at at what her team will be this year, Missouri. You know, at the end of last season, and, and things have changed for me. I, I feel like I saw a lot from their pitching staff last year. I think Coach Anderson 
said a lot right when describing those people. But coming off of last year, Missouri was the one team where I was like, they might be the one team that I don't think is going to be better this upcoming season. And it's going to be all about how this coaching staff with the new assistant, Jeff Cottrell, can develop everybody else who's filling in for all of these departed starters from last season's offense. Yeah, there's a lot of roster turnover there and and a lot to replace. Yeah. Uh, And it's and I mean, that's that's what happens (laughs) in today's day and age. So. Uh, I think bringing in uh, the new coaching staff may may uh, have the biggest effect in Missouri of anywhere in the conference as far as bringing in new assistants. Yes. And of course, we look at the conference slate. Oh, baby. Mm. Those first four weeks, Kentucky at Florida at Auburn. We've already discussed how dangerous the Tigers could be and Alabama and Columbia. We're yeah. going to learn a lot. Yes, we we, we have those uh, restaurant suggestions. Dropping the liquors. Here we come. <laughs> Again, either to celebrate or to do the other thing. That's the best part. (laughs) Whatever you got to do, it works either way. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you so much, Larissa Anderson, for hopping on. Tom, when we come back, we will wrap up day two. We'll cover everything we've discussed and get you ready for day three. That's on the other side here on Out of the Box. Let's finish it off listening to song do we want to reference lavender haze how many how many taylor swift references are we going to make this year i don't know we've talked to a lot of anti-heroes in this podcast oh, 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 i'm just a monster on a hill <laughs> day two kentucky arkansas south carolina and missouri i hope i hope all the listeners out there don't stop listening after that joke we have two whole days still to go but tom you know as we look back on this day again these are four teams that I don't know where I'm going to put when we do our preseason poll in a couple months for the season five premiere. I don't know who I trust out of these four teams. I think all could be better. All could see drop-offs. I truly don't know that this is kind of the day of the question mark. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what the season holds for these four squads. I think it was apropos that Rachel Lawson and Kentucky were kind of leading this, this day off because it was kind of the day of the enigmas and, and it's going to be, for different reasons in different ways yeah. that we're, we're going to have question marks about these teams and not necessarily that they're going to be bad. Right. Just we, do, we don't know yet. Yeah. Um, whereas day one, I think we had a little bit more of a handle on what those three teams are going to be. These four teams um, it's, it's definitely a higher, the ceiling and the floor are, are very wide apart for yeah. these four teams. I couldn't agree more. And that makes day three even more interesting because we are looking at four squads that I feel good about in some pieces and some who I've seen my opinion change about just being very honest yeah over the last month and a half those four teams are Ole Miss Florida Mississippi State and LSU you've got the two Mississippi schools you've got Florida you've got LSU that's a rivalry of course Betarina has some ties with Florida as well so it all connects it does and it's going to be another fun day this was another very particular order that I set up when we were planning these interviews and we'll dive into more on that in the next episode it, it's it's so it's so hard because the SEC, when when you look at different teams and you hear the coaches talk about them, you can in your mind you can okay you can pull up scenarios okay well this team can be really really good yep. for all thirteen teams like like for in various forms 
you can make an argument for almost anybody to be really, really good, but it's going to be impossible for all 13 to be really, really good. So that's why you play the games, as you said as well. But uh, coming off of today, where we kind of had some question marks on these four teams, there are still questions on the four coming up in episode three, but you might have a little bit more clarity on a couple. Clarity, I think, was the word right there. That That is going to spin around in my head. And I'm sure it'll come up when we do record day three. But of course, this wraps up day two. Make sure you follow all the socials at outofthebox underscore pod. Tom? At T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. I'm going to come up with some different way to toss it to you to say your Twitter every single time. (laughs) I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y, because we're in America, underscore Robertson. And make sure you like, subscribe, leave a review, yada, yada. Thank you to Coach Lawson, Difel, Smith, Anderson, all the SIDs. Great job, everybody. And we cannot wait to see... Missouri, South Carolina, Arkansas, and Kentucky this upcoming season. But with that, day two of Softball Media Days is finished. We are halfway through, Tom. Wow. (laughs) I mean, do you remember when I first emailed all the SIDs October 13th? (laughs) Wow. So much has happened since then. So much has happened. Some of it was good. Not all of it was good, but some of it was most (laughs) definitely not. Day two is done, but we've got a great day three coming up. That'll be Tuesday, December 6th. Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, LSU. We'll cover everything with all those folks, so make sure that you are tuning in. We're just going to keep on rolling, keep getting better. From my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. That's all for me, it is.